Hey folks, this is Pete Bissardo. Hey guys, this is Tower of Eight. Hey guys, this is Ruby Roo. This is Shady from Vape TV, and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio. Hello, my fellow vapers. Welcome to another edition of Smoke Free Radio right here on the VP Live Network. I am your host. You might know me as Vaping Greek. Uh, also, I've been called Demi a lot lately. I don't know. I think CJ the Vaping Monkey started that, by the way. I mean, I know my last name is Long Agrafiotis. I don't expect anybody to remember. But Dimitri, it's not that bad. This is how lazy the monkey is. He, he chopped off even my first name. Calling me Demi now. What is up with that? Um, what do we have on tap today? Of course, we're going to talk about the California attack. The California Department of Death, as I like to call it now. Not health. Uh, I do have uh, some guests lined up. I have a couple of lobbyists from Capital Access in Florida calling in. We're going to discuss a little bit about state legislation and uh, a dirty ta- tactic that RJR has been using this year with last-minute amendments on their bills. Uh, exactly what happened in Arkansas last night. Uh, also scheduled to call in uh, Chris Hughes from the Fat Cat Vapor Shop uh, and also newly formed PA Chapter of Sfada. And um, I, I, if we have time, there is a guy that got a ticket <laughs> They wrote, a police officer wrote him a ticket for vaping. Uh, I hope I have enough time to bring him on. If not, we'll bring him in next week. Uh, and also, uh, Jeff is going to call. He was at the state capitol in Texas yesterday. Give us a little update of what happened there. That is what I have lined up for you. Jam-packed show again. But first, let me go ahead and bring on the lovely, the talented, the beautiful bitch you all know. Miss M. M, are you there? Hello. Hey. What's, Hi. Go- what's going on? Not much. Everything's uh, okay. I haven't broke anything, right? It sounds pretty good to me. Uh, so let's just hope that that uh, that remains the case throughout the night. Good. So what's going on? We missed you last week. You were a little bit under the weather. Yeah, I had a case of laryngitis, and I still have a little bit of it. It comes and goes, but for the most part, it's been okay. I know how you feel. I just um, these allergies are killing me. My uh, my throat uh, is sore. My, you know, my, my sinuses, my sinus cavity, my eyes, my ears, it's, it sucks. It sucks because you can't, can't do anything, you know. Mm-hmm. It just um, just drains you up just physically. I don't feel like I have the energy to do anything that I want. But the show must go on, right? That's right. How's your vape week been? It's been pretty good, actually. Uh, I, are you still on the sub-tank craze? Are you still? Yeah, I am. You know, I can't find anything else that works as good as it. Well, that's that's fine. I think a lot of people are enjoying that vape. Uh, today we're trying out some flavors up at work, and um, uh, one of the lab guys made an uh, apricot peach. And you know, peach is like right up my alley. I love peaches. And he made this juice, this apricot peach and and Bavarian cream something. And um, one of the guys there was vaping it on Atlantis, and I tried it. It was good. You know, he had it cranked up at fifty watts or whatever. You know. And um, and then the lab guy comes in the back, brings it in the sub tank with a 1.2 ohm coil at about 17 watts. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something, that flavor popped. I mean, that's, that was like right up my alley juice, too. I love that apricot. It was a little bit bitter, which I like that. You know, I don't like it to be too sweet yeah. for an all-day vape. But it, it, it just goes to show you that different flavors perform different in different waters levels. And a lot of people, you know, criticize the fact that I don't use sub-ohm tanks. But my juices taste good at 14 watts. You know, I can't crank it up even if I wanted to put it in a, in a sub-ohm tank which need 30-35 watts to work so it changes the flavor of my 
preferred liquid, and I prefer not to do that. Um, one more thing that I want to talk about with you before we get started with the show is this is probably the first span of time, let's say 10 days to two weeks, where I'm hearing nothing, absolutely nothing from the EU. And we're, you know, we're basically getting raped here in the States. I mean, everywhere I turn, we're, we're getting attacked. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, like, I've, I've said it the last couple of shows, it's just been really, really quiet over here right now. Which is not a good thing, by the way. <laughs> That's kind of, sometimes it's a little bit of the calm before the storm. Before everything. Maybe they're copying everything that the U.S. is doing and try to present it in a way that is going to sound European, I guess. I'm hoping that it's that that's not the case. I know that we have um, some advocates from the new Nicotine Alliance, um, Jerry Stimson um, and Lori and Jolly and Sarah, and they're working with a lot of uh, like the public health departments over here to try to get better information to them about e-cigs. I did a, I did post a study on Facebook today from the UK, which was an interesting story where they are trying to use e-cigs as a tobacco harm reduction tool. Yeah, they're yeah. actually um, there's a lot of stop smoking services that are ran by the mm-hmm. NHS, which is the National Health Service here, um, that are incorporating e-cigs into the non the the quit smoking programs that they use. And, and, and this is what I liked about stories like that, and I think this is what we need here. the The headline of the story was so fantastic. Pelosa was quoted in this as well. Um, E-cigarettes can provide significant public health benefits. To me, a title like that here in the States, in mainstream media, of course, not you know within our vaping circles, it, it, just, it just has a tremendous benefit for the smoker that still has doubts or has been fear-mongered about electronic cigarettes and also for public perception as well, too. Because yeah. I'm tired. I'm tired of the, the society that doesn't smoke and vape that looks at us and and feel like we're doing something bad and in turn might be bad for their health as well too and that's such a tough stigma to overcome and a lot of that stems from all the bad press and all those bad headlines that say e-cigs are 10 times more cancerous than you know traditional tobacco cigarettes that to me is extremely important and the only way you're going to be able to change that is with a PR firm here in the United States that's the only thing that's going to be able to change that and Greg's, you know, doing as much as the guy can, but we need more. And we need to take it to a state-by-state basis again, too. I just don't think that we have the power and the money to go on a federal PR-type firm or even a global. Can you imagine a global PR firm representing these things? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But, I said on Twitter the other day, we need 10,000 Gregs. Yeah, 10,000 Gregs and 10,000 um, bank accounts to, to put money in to fund something like that because to, to get that mainstream representation, you do have to have the funds. And, uh, and unfortunately, we're not there yet. Um, but we did have some good news today, which uh, which is rare. Uh, Dr. F., of course, uh, presented his uh, study. actually got published today. I should say I knew about the study for a while. Once again, it's not something that I can talk about publicly until it is peer-reviewed and published. And it was published today in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. And what they did is they evaluated e-liquids, including nets. Nets are naturally extracted tobacco e-liquid flavors, where they basically take the tobacco leaf, they extract the flavor through a process, and use that flavoring to create an e-liquid that's very realistic to the real tobacco experience. We actually do some of that at Mount Oak Vapors. We do naturally extract tobacco, some flavors as well, too. So I actually... Was was really surprised. I wasn't surprised on the results of the e-liquid. I mean, I knew the nitrosamines and you know the, the presence of of the nitrates, uh, which is you know the toxins that are in tobacco smoke. I knew there were going to be much much less in in regular e-liquid. I was extremely surprised to find 
that even in naturally extracted tobaccos, uh, M, the the levels were extremely low. I mean, way, way magnitude magnitudes less than traditional tobacco. Did that kind of surprise you? Um, not really, because I've, it's something that I've always said. Anything that we're doing with vaping right now, no matter what, as long as it's not smoking, it's going to be better. And I I wasn't surprised about it. There's a company over here that um, they they sell mixing kits with tobacco leaves that you House can of liquids. House tobacco in. House of liquids, I think is next. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a little echo from here. Okay, go ahead. Is that a little bit better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's been doing it. Gosh, I think the first time that I saw him do it was the beginning of 2013. Mm-hmm. And um, I know on Planet of the Vapes he had posted a pretty lengthy, you know, thread about how he does it and and some of the information behind it. But no, I, w- I wasn't surprised. It was, it's another one of those things that I'm just like, thank God it just hits yeah. some stuff. And, and, and once again, you know, I mean, I like Dr. F obviously, but the reason why I like his research and I, you have to separate the two. Okay. It's one thing that I like him as a, as a vapor and as a friend, but his research always compares it to tobacco smoking. And that is one thing that we're not seeing by the opposition. The opposition will always do tests on electronic cigarettes standalone, like the formaldehyde study, right? Okay. It was a standalone. It was never compared to tobacco smoke where it should have been. Dr. F presents this to the, to the medical journal that peer-reviewed it as compared to tobacco smoke. And what we want to see here, if we're promoting tobacco harm reduction, as many of us claim, uh, what we want to see here is we want to see strong evidence that proves that e-cigs have a lower risk potential than traditional combustible tobacco. That is the goal of electronic cigarettes, to show that it has a lower risk profile. And once again, with this study, confirmed what many of us know, what many of us have you know, figured out in their, their life, that e-cigs are way, way better than, than traditional tobacco. Yeah. So good stuff from Dr. F. Get out there and share it. It's all been shared 1.3, uh, 1,300 times on Facebook. It's been tweeted 200 times. I'd like to see that gain a little bit more traction uh, just to get it out there. Um, the traction thing has a lot to do with the California thing that I'm going to talk about again today. Um, if you have not noticed, and how can you have not noticed if you're a vapor, the California Debar- uh, Department of Health, the Tobacco-Free California, has launched uh, uh, an attack against electronic cigarettes, a big media campaign uh, numbers are kind of sketchy right now. It is estimated $75 million is their budget over five years. How much of that exactly is going to go? Stanton Glantz posted a piece today that was pretty ridiculous, in my opinion, trying to say, well, it's not really $75 million a year. It's $75 million over five years. Like, that makes it better, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, we're not spending $75 million a year, you know, against E6, but we're spending it over five years. Like, that justifies it. This is what pisses me off. It pisses me off, Em. Yeah. This just, well, it's okay, 75 over 5 million, but over one year, no, ESIG people are lying, right? Yeah. So they, they launched this, 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 this campaign that, that shows that we're, you know, we're trying to bring in a new generation of addicts, basically what the tobacco companies were doing 30 years ago. And, you know, granted, there are some companies out there, everybody knows them, you see them every day, that do have some sketchy, some questionable, <laughs> if you want to call that, products and the way that they market their products uh, i saw one the other day sour batch e-liquid which is a play off the sour patch for kids and it's actually the logo and the names is exactly the same i disagree with it i don't like it whatever you want to get mad at me for saying it get mad at it. i don't care sour batch e-liquid shouldn't be on the market period <laughs> and and i'm sure it won't be allowed at some point but 
even with those companies that do have some sketchy products, overall, I think that the industry is doing a good job self-regulating itself, trying to promote tobacco harm reduction. Now, Stefan Didak launched NotBlowingSmoke.org. He was, he was brilliant that he found out about this before the California Department of Health launched, actually 48 hours before only. And he yeah. was able in two days, uh, M, to get this website going, get graphic cards going, and also inform a lot of us, a lot of the advocates, yep. privately about it, and let us know that this is coming, which I think is a great plan, right? I mean, if we know if we know it's coming, we can take the right, you know, necessary measures to combat the attack. And he did that. He did it very, very brilliantly. And you know, the thing that gets me is while Stanton's going on about a seventy-five million dollars over five years, Stefan did this with absolutely no budget. Zero. Zero money. No money. Right. No no backup from anybody. Right. right. So, and, and, and it was positioned correctly. We had the information. Stefan had given a lot of us privately what he was going to do. Then we were able through our circles and, you know, some of our more, you know, less involved advocates get the information to them to eventually blow it up. And it did blow up when, when, we, when we launched Sunday night. Um, the, the thing with, with this, this tobacco-free California is that it's so manipulative, even the campaign itself. Let me play this. This is Kids Aren't All Right, which has 11,000 views on YouTube already. This is their last video. Let me tell you about tobacco-free California. Their last you know, biggest video was like 1,100 views, right? That was their biggest ever view when it comes to you know, e-cigs or whatever. But now this one has gained a lot of traction, which I don't like. But uh, this is one of their videos. It's 45 seconds long. I mean, really? <laughs> Lollipop? I mean, come on. So, you know, it says this is big tobacco and it's promoting the kids, blah, blah, blah. And they're using the, you know, the lollipop and the music in the back. It's just, not not only is it bad, here's my fear, M, that even in that commercial, it shows some young adults vaping and it it makes him look extremely sexy. I'll be honest with you. I mean, if I wasn't vaping, this is how bad their thinking is. If I wasn't vaping and I saw this as a kid, I'd want to do it. Yeah. When I shared that, um, I think it was yesterday or the day before I shared it, and a lot of people responded that it it came off as being very positive for e-cigs instead of being anti. And we know that how kids are. When you try to restrict stuff like that, when you try to put it in their heads that it's bad, they're just going to go out there and try it. It's but- counterproductive. You're spending $75 million, whatever, you know, I guess they have the money. They're not worried about it, you know. They have it in their budget to spend it. But at least spend it productively. All they're doing is they're making it more attractive for people to try the product, especially young adult young adults are very manipulative. The the ad is done so well. The vapor looks so great coming out of the guy's mouth, especially in the other video, the what could go wrong video. Yeah. Uh there's a you know, there's a black young adult that's like blowing vapor and it looks so fucking good. I mean <laughs> I, I, I wish I could crop that out and use it for an ad for e-cigs because it's that good so if you want to make it look like e-cigs are bad at least try to demonize it a little bit not glamorize it the way that they have they're they they're doing a better job of drawing more customers to the e-cig industry than they're trying to push them away yeah um one thing that i do have to say about the 
about the uh, the notblowingsmoke.org. I think Stefan has done a great job. Get out there and share it, and there's updates coming. Uh, a lot of vendors in California contacted me. I directed them there. A lot of vendors are using it on their Instagram now. They're using it on their web pages, which is a great thing. I have one problem only. Em. The problem is that the Not Blowing Smoke campaign is targeted to vapors. We yeah. need to get this campaign to society. We need to get this campaign to the public. We need to get it out there to people that don't smoke and don't vape. And to do that, the California vendors have to hire a professional PR firm. They have to spend money. They have to invest money. And I think that that's already in the works with the Sfada chapters. It might be, but it's expensive. CJ messaged me the other day, told me, you know, I'm going to post this on my Instagram. What do you think? I said, it's a great idea. Go ahead, post it. But who's going to see it, CJ? Your customers. Your customers already vape. We already know what the California Department is doing is fear-mongering propaganda. We already know that. We're kind of preaching to the choir. We need to break this community thing, and we need to take it out to the public. We need to take it out to society. We need to take it out to people that are looking at e-cigs as they're bad right now. And the only way to do that is to use a PR firm. Yeah, Stefan just said in chat that they have one. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I know that they have in the works, and I know there's a there's a North Cal or South Cal meeting set up in, in a couple of weeks or maybe 10 days where they're going to discuss the PR firm as well too, which I think is crucial right now, especially especially in the California area, which is getting um, pummeled right now. I mean, it's just getting it's getting killed by, by the bad publicity that this thing has, has put onto them. So I don't know what to say. Um, Stefan, if you're if you're here, you want to call in. I don't know if you're online. I see eight five zero. I don't know if that's you. I don't think that's you. Let me double check here my notes. No, I think eight five zero is Jamie. Stefan, I don't know if you can call in if you want to give us an update of what's going on with uh, with a PR firm. Um, but the, the PR firm is vital right now. The, the The California Department of Health knows exactly what they're doing, and so far they haven't had opposition to them because every time they do this, they did that last year with the the, the advisor that they put out there. Uh, it didn't get combated at all. Yeah, within us, within us, yeah, it got combated. But out there to the public, they reached a lot of people. And it did hurt a lot of the business in California. I know there's some saturation in the market, but there are a lot of stores that were not a business. Yeah. Uh, I think this is him, 661. Let me get him on the air. Stefan, are you there? Yes, that's hey, me. Hey, what's going on, buddy? Doing? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? Oh. I know you're tired. Yeah, overwhelmed. <laughs> I know, I know you're tired and overwhelmed. <laughs> Once again, I want to congratulate you on what you did. I publicly uh, said it on Facebook the other day, and I'll say it again, that uh, you know what you were able to get together in 48 hours was pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Yeah, well, two, two days without sleep, you can actually get things done. The, the thing I didn't expect is to spend another two days without sleep actually dealing with the enormous aftermath. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but your thoughts i mean i don't want to i don't want it to sound like i'm criticizing it by any means you know how i am i'm always honest and i'm always open a lot of the vendors in california contacted me i always directed them to not not blowing smoke.org but the truth is that we have to make not blowing smoke.org we have to make it a household name just like the california department of health is trying to do Correct. So uh, th there's been a bit of confusion in california since uh, the past two days uh, some people thought that not blowing smoke was a SPADA project because of, of my ties and it wasn't a SPADA project. Mm -hmm. 
However, uh, with uh, Spada NorCal and SoCal, we have engaged a PR firm, uh, Pondell Wilkinson, which is going to handle pretty much all the PR. Mm -hmm. And for California-specific things where we need uh, highly directed print campaigns, uh, we've been talking to uh, Sacramento News and Review, who are really good at taking a very complicated story and turning it into like four or eight pages of, of full-color material. Yeah. Uh, I think they had a meeting today with um, part of the vendors who were in the SEC area. And we're going to have another follow-up meeting, I believe, next week. And both of these things are going to help push a more proper campaign out there because literally what, what I did in, in 48 hours was just only to uh, derail the web portion of the yeah. uh, Department of Health campaign. Uh, the, the larger uh, campaign is uh, underway. I think it should be done on a state-by-state -state basis. And the only reason I'm saying that is because... You know, you can direct funds in the state of California right now where you're being attacked and you need that. You, you need that right now in the state. Not, not that we don't need it nationally. We do. I think it's just too much of an overwhelming task to tackle right now. But what I can do, you know, oh, no, what, no, this, go ahead. This is definitely uh, California specific. Right, right, right. Right. But what we can do, what I can do in Tennessee is I can go to my vendors and say, hey, listen, we need to hire a PR firm here in Tennessee. And then we can use the material that you provide from notblowingsmoke.org uh, and blow it up here in Tennessee. Correct. And other states can follow that. I mean, this is something that we should Correct, be doing yeah. right now. Everybody should. And it's, 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 in my, it's in my works. Trust me. I will come to you and I'm going to say, I'm ready to go. Let's blow this thing up in Tennessee. <laughs> and that's the way I think that it should be handled right now. We should go on a state-by-state -state cases and let the state, the state associations that are out there, create the necessary funds to hire a PR firm to represent. Because every state's a little bit different as well, too. There are some states now that are not seeing any, to act, you know, no action at all. There's other states that are getting killed. Right. That, right? Go ahead, Stefan. That, that's actually part of... That's actually part of what we're doing with uh, Sacramento News and Review. Uh, what we're putting together is sort of like a Lego block. So the same template can be used by other states and other cities or other municipalities, right. and they can take portions out and put portions back in. So if you're dealing with a specific politician or specific legislation, you, you take half a page out, make it specific about that, while the rest of the content remains fairly right. uh, generic and um, – it, it, I can't really discuss the content, of course. Right, but, right, right, um, right. Very specific about the, the, the counterclaims that need to be made. Right. And, and, and one of the things where I think that the not, uh, notblowingspoke.org campaign from us is very, very powerful because it specifically addresses the issue, right? We're not taking it and we're making it to something else, which is a big problem that we have within the community as well, too. When we go fight something, we start talking about stuff that has absolutely no relation to what the issue at hand is, Right. But here we have a specific claim by the California Department of Health, and you've countered it specifically against that claim. It's one-to-one. -one. Everything that they throw at us, you have the counter for, and that's why I think it's going to be successful if we do take it nationwide, if we do take it state by state, uh, and, and just blow this thing up. But, you know, pun, pun intended, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's vital. What, what has been the response that you've gotten so far as far as the PR firm, and what do you think it's going to cost? Um... Right now, we're looking at, uh, for, for just the California P uh, regular year-long PR stuff, we're looking at, like, I think it's about forty or 50000 That's not much. Uh, the projects were... Oh, no, no, that, that, that's manageable. Uh, the, the cost for the California-specific campaigns, because they're highly specialized, uh, depending on where we do it and, and what target demographic, uh, 
uh, it could be anywhere from 25 to 50,000. Doing a statewide one is going to be around 250. Yeah, that's what I figured. Again, that's not a lot of money to me. Yeah. I mean, California is a huge market. I can see it's going to be more expensive than it's going to be in Tennessee. I think in Tennessee, our quota was about between forty and 60000 statewide. So, I mean, obviously, depending right. I mean, on the it, state. It is a chunk of money, but yeah. it, it's doable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and Jake made a perfect perfect point. Versus the money that we're up against, it's really not a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to have that $75 million budget. <laughs> we could kick some ass, but, but unfortunately, we don't. Here's the funny thing. I, I keep telling everybody we, we don't need to match their funds dollar for dollar because we do not we, we are not in this to line our own pockets. We are not here to just keep our existence justified. So every dollar we spend on PR lobbying etc. counts a lot more sure. than the money that is getting stuck in their corporate wheels That's and correct. their fat cat positions. Uh, no pun intended, Chris. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great point. And also, you know, have you done any research into Tobacco Free California and see how much their top executives make? Uh, I haven't, actually, but uh, you can count on it being on my to-do list. Okay, that would be a fantastic yeah, one, one presentation kind of card. That would be a fantastic presentation card. This is what this board costs. Just the top five people is all you have to but I'm sure it's going to be the millions. Right, so this is what it costs for this organization to operate every year. I mean, that's going to be a really telling card that we're going to be able to put out there to the public. Yes, and there's no way they can avoid being exposed because we have nothing to hide. They have everything to hide. Right, right, right. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, all right, anything else that you want to add, Stefan? Notblowingsmoke.org, obviously, your latest project uh, <laughs> until the uh, next attack. Only, only one, one, one quick public service announcement. Guys, if I don't get back to your emails, your PMs, and everything else, I am really just completely beat. It's just been so overwhelming that... I, it is impossible for me to to like personally respond to everybody and and deal with every question that's being asked. Uh, in the next week, we're gonna group together with um, Doug Hughes and Mark Burton and actually plan the strategy for not blowing smoke .org and moving forward with it and hopefully turning it into an even bigger success. Stefan, you didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose you. Drops mic. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Okay. Go get some rest. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. All right. You can hear bye more. Bye. Thanks, Stefan. More, uh, Russ uh, had a good show last night talking about uh, uh, more in depth of this California Department of Health. You can download, of course, the replay of everspace.com slash VP Live. All the replays are uploaded there. Good job with that yesterday, Russ. All right. Um, M, California. Yeah. It's, it's a tough. It's tough. They have a lot of power there. They can do a lot of good things, I think, if they if they all bond together. And I'm starting to see it this year, and I like it. Yes. I'm, I'm starting to change a little bit. Not completely. I'm starting to change a little bit my position of last year where nobody would do anything. Because I think now they realize that the shit has hit the fan, and it's time to for all of them to bond together. They have the power there to do it. I would love to see it being launched there, and all of us feed off of that. Because yeah. they have the power. They have a lot of vendors there. They have a lot of, you know, they, they can do a lot of good in their state that we can use in our states as well, too, where we don't have that many vendors. I mean, Cal Tennessee probably has a, as many shops as one county in California, which is, which is it's pretty amazing. But they have the power to do it. And then I'd love to be able to get the information from Stefan and the various groups there and use it in my own state and save yeah. us some money as well, too, right? It even it even has its, own, its purpose over here in the EU and the U.K., 
because a lot of the people that have been involved in the 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 not blowing smoke hashtag on Twitter are from over here because it's good information. And I definitely think that it's something that if California does get their act together and, and they fight it and, and they're successful, it's going to trickle down out to the other states. I did get a lot of comments from the U.K. today uh, and yesterday on the notblowingsmoke.org website. Everybody loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information and a lot of good comments. And that's great to see. This is a global fight. I want everybody to, to participate and, uh, uh, and get on board. All right. Let's move on. I got a lot of stuff to get to. Um, we, we have to talk about... We have to talk about the state legislation and what is going on right now. I was extremely disappointed to see Arkansas. Um, just the other day in the Arkansas group, I saw a couple of vendors post, we beat the bill. Uh, we beat the bill. Congratulations. Everybody was happy. One of my closest friends in the industry, Rob Smith, that owns Razor Vapes, I talk to him all the time. I try to feed him all the information that I have, um, not only because he's a vendor in the state and has multiple shops, but he's a good friend of mine, and, and I want to see him succeed. I, I don't want to see him fail. And... Um, even he messaged me. He's like, we, we beat this thing in Argus. I even talked about it on the radio last week. Uh, I said, congratulations to Argus. They beat the bill. I had no idea what was going on. Well, they didn't beat the bill. In fact, the bill was rewritten last night and and just last minute tossed on the table. That's going to affect every business in Argus. We're going to talk a little bit more detail about what RJR is doing and how these things work. I have lined up for you today two guests uh, from Capital Access, of course, Jamie Miller, and also the State Legislative Relations for Capital Access, Mr. Rob Shave. Gentlemen, are you there? Hello. Yes, sir, right here. All right, I got you there. Let me see if I can get this guy here. Hey, Jamie, are you there? I am here. Hey, here Jamie, how you doing? Chris, we're good to talk with you. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for, for joining. Before we get started, please, Jamie, introduce yourself, and then, Rob, if you can, as well. Hey, I'm Jamie Miller, and I'm uh, an associate with Capital Access. We work with uh, Vista, and uh, we're specifically the lobbyists here in Florida for Vista and the Smoke Free Association here in Florida. We're registered for Vista, um, but we work closely with TD and uh, Kevin Skipper. Uh, fantastic, and Rob. Uh, yes, my name is Rob Shave, and I'm also an associate with Capital Access, and uh, along with Jamie, uh, I also represent uh, the VISTA, the Vaping Industry Strategic Truth Alliance, and uh, we uh, proudly fight on behalf of vapors in the state of Florida. Now, specifically, I wanted you to come on for a couple of reasons. Obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of legislation uh, on the map uh, this year. Mostly, mostly fueled by RGR, except Indiana. That's a that's a separate case there. But most of the state legislation that we're seeing now happens by RGR. One of the things that I want, maybe you can start, Jamie, to explain is, I've heard this term. I I, I sat down with somebody to explain it to me, but I want you to explain to the audience uh, what RGR is doing is putting a shell bill, basically like they have in Tennessee. It's just a very benign bill. There, it doesn't really say anything. Just separates vapor products from tobacco products, childproof caps ban to minors, you know, easy stuff. And we look at it and we said, oh, this is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And then what they do is they Christmas tree the bill. I heard that term, Christmas tree the bill. Jamie, tell us exactly what RJR is doing. Yeah, I mean, basically what they do is they get a, a vehicle that they get through a couple committees. They try to get, uh, bring the industry together. In Florida, we were successful last year in um, keeping uh, the bill from being Christmas tree. Last mm-hmm. year in Florida, 
as you know, Demetrius, we passed a bill that is uh, that bans the sale on miners, which mm-hmm. we support. You know, bans uh, some basic signage that you know Seven Elevens and everyone else has to have. If you have your standalone building uh, that only use that only sells e-cigarettes, you have to be 18 or older to go in. Some some of those restrictions that most people are are fully willing to live with. You know, but. At one point, there were some amendments floating around, like mm-hmm. you're talking about, mm-hmm. that would have banned online sales, would have banned uh, flavors, would have banned all, and would have categorized e-cigarettes as tobacco products. Yeah. So, through our efforts, this is now our second year representing Vista in Florida. So, the good, the one thing that we have is an extra year of time on a lot of these states. And so, uh, number one, I would say that. Uh, the most important thing is it's not too late in your state because the FDA still has to rule eventually. Right. And number two is that if you haven't started organizing your state, get organized now with whoever you can for whatever you can. For instance, uh, as you know, Demetrius, we um, basically started pro bono in Florida because all three of Jerry Paul, is uh, the head of Capital Access, Rob mm-hmm. Shape. And myself all have personal stories. My wife uh, quit smoking uh, two years ago, 18 months to two years ago, and only uses vapor products. So uh, I am, you know, so we kind of started as a labor of love, so to speak. And there are people out there who will help you get started because this is a new industry. There are people who will see the benefits of getting in on the ground floor and will help you for maybe a little bit less than they would your you know, a major industry that's, in, let's say, right. an insurance company, a Blue Cross Blue Shield that's already, a, you know, an established company where they're like, okay, I've signed Blue Cross Blue Shield, you know, pay me what I'm, you know, I'm willing to do a labor of love for a year to try to get started. So, they, uh, and, and also I have to uh, interject Rob real quick, Jamie. A little bit Let me just interject, bill. Jamie. Uh, you, you also did the same thing here in Tennessee because when we launched Tennessee Smoke Free Association, we didn't have all the funds yet. To be able to hire lobbyists, but you, but you, Vista was able to help us out to get started. Now, of course, we're on track. We have right. vendors on board, and, and we're ready to fund this thing. But at the beginning, it was it was difficult trying to sell that concept of a lobbyist to a state association, especially with a lot of vendors that are just they don't get it. They just don't understand how law is being made. And you know, you know as much critical as I can be, it, it makes no difference if somebody just doesn't understand it. And I think it's vital that we explain the process of lobbying. And I agree. And I think I think you're struggling, and the industry is struggling. You talked earlier about uh, PR agencies, and I think that PR agencies are really important and uh, will be vital to the long-term success. But as you can see in Arkansas, in very quickly, uh, a bill can be amended, uh, and you can call it a, a shell bill or a strike-all amendment, where it's like, okay, we're getting rid of this bill, and we're going to replace this entire bill with all this new language and add 30 or 40 pages of new language. And now that's going to be come out from the committee. And as long as the committee votes on it, that's what we're going to push all the way to the floor and try to make law. And so there's, there's those types of uh, maneuvers that can take place that are, that are very dangerous to the industry. You know, uh, uh, Rob, in, in the Arkansas case, um, talking with my friend that was a vendor, he was going to bed every night thinking that everything was done. And all of a sudden now they tossed this 31-page amendment to him, which basically 
you know, I'm not going to go through the entire thing. It's it's long and it's it gives you a headache. But some of the key points that are out of it is obviously, you know, you have to register a license with a state. You have to register your employees. Uh, this is all like a beginning of the tobacco distribution wholesale. I mean, I'm, I'm just shocked that people don't understand what RJR is trying to do here. They're trying to lock down the industry where you're going to be, be able to take products that are labeled as tobacco through the existing distribution channels of the state, which means that everybody that's selling them juice now from various states won't be able to give the shops the juice to sell anymore. They're going to have to go through the existing distribution channels. And even though it doesn't appear like it's bad, even just saying, oh, it's just $100 to register with the state every year, that's not the point. It's really, really bad, Rob. I mean, I don't know how maybe you with you know some political lingo, you'll be able to explain that that, that is the beginning of the end for this industry. It, yeah, absolutely, it is, and uh, it, it's interesting. I, I was I was listening earlier, and you were talking about this this situation in Arkansas, where you know the the folks in the vaping industry were were celebrating, and you know they they thought we killed the bill, we killed the bill, and that's that's something that Jamie and I and and Jerry were were all very careful about. We're we're very careful not to spike the ball before, you know, before the end of the legislative session because anything can can happen the mandatory process through pieces of legislation and especially shell bills like the ones that you're that you're talking about you know it's a long process and you can amend legislation through the the various steps of the committee process all the way on to the house and senate floors and you know it requires a professional effort of staying vigilant and keeping an eye on all of the different types of maneuvers that uh Big big companies like RJR yeah. can uh, can put forth. Yeah. And, and I'll add I'll add one thing, ahead, Rob, if I can, Demetrius, is that you know one of the things that we do that no one sees is that not only do we know which committees these are going to, we go and meet with individually with each and every one of these committees. And I won't say that every single person on every single committee that I'm good friends with, but. They've certainly heard of me. They've seen me around the Capitol. They've seen Rob around the Capitol. And so we carry a good deal of respect in our Capitol, our respective Capitol, like your lobbyist does in Tennessee. And so when we ask for a meeting, we're able to get it. We're able to get enough time with the right people on the right committees to, to, to you know, put our case before them before they see the bill, before the bill even gets to their committee. So while the bill is in one committee, we're not only working that committee, we're working the next committee. Right. And so it takes that kind of strategic professional effort. And if you haven't if you haven't worked at that, so many people will, you know, oh, this bill is being heard in X committee tomorrow. Let's email them, let's call let's right. let's call them. Well, by the time that happens, the RJ are lobbyists and if you don't have a lobbyist and you're an RGR is able to work in a vacuum behind the scenes before this bill gets to, any bill gets to the committee by the time it gets to the committee every single one of those people have already decided how they're going to vote and very little public testimony is going to change a politician's mind if they've already decided how yeah, they're going to vote absolutely I mean, right that's on any topic three four seven three zero eight eight three two nine press one if you have any questions or comments you have two brilliant minds here take advantage and call in with your questions no matter what state you're in. Jamie, let's break down this committee thing a little bit more uh, into detail because I think, again, once again, even for me, I saw it last year firsthand going to the state capitol here in Nashville how the process works. But the committees that we're talking about now, even in Arkansas, what got heard today and it passed, we're seeing these these 
are, are there more of a predetermined outcome if you can't get to it before it goes to a certain committee? Without a doubt, absolutely. It, you know, if, if there's nobody there playing defense against the offense, you know, it's, it's very simple to score a touchdown. You know, it, these, these committees are uh, oftentimes pretty well scripted. I, I mean, I saw it last year when they were passing these bills. Just one of there was no talk. It was just boom, boom, boom. Yes, yes. All in favor. Yes, all in favor. It was just. It was like you know, like thirty bills just went like in a matter of an hour. I was shocked. I was like, "Is this how law is being made in the United?" But all the law happens behind closed doors, and it happens before it actually gets to that point. And that is the power of a lobbyist. Dozens, Go ahead. Yeah, dozens and dozens of conversations leading up to these these committees where 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 a bill is heard and you have your hearing. It's you know, it's, it's it is the behind the behind the scenes movement of professional lobbyists that that really affects the most change. And, but, but Demetrius, my ahead, point Jim. is that it, it isn't, and I agree with, I agree a hundred percent with Rob. The the point is is if you have your lobbyist, your your lobbyist doesn't necessarily get locked out. They will meet with your lobbyist. They will meet with right. you if you get there in time. But the the problem is very few vendors, for instance, have two weeks leading up to a bill to go, because it's not like you can make a 9 o'clock appointment with this one, 9.15 with that one, 9.30 with that one. You may make a 9 o'clock appointment with this one, and you might not be able to get another meeting on this subject with another committee member until 3. And so to meet with the entire committee will take a week's worth of appointments, just because they're busy people and you're trying to fit on their schedule. And so very few vendors have enough time to put that kind of effort in. We can because we have other clients, and so we fill that nine to three with other appointments with other with legislators about other topics. Right. And so that's that's where a professional lobbyist really is able. You're you as a group of vendors banding together and hiring a professional lobbyist can leverage all of your your finances. My mom always used to say, and you know, those who aren't in the South may not understand it, but many hands make light lifting. Right. Make light lifting. So, it's, and that's what we really need here. We need a bunch of people pitching in to make the lift lighter so that we can accomplish our goals. And it's not just on the backs of one or two people. And, Demetrius, you have been uh, a stalwart for this industry for many years, long before I was involved. Of, I've uh, known you for a little bit more than a year now, but, um, you know, it's been a lot due to your efforts of being able to recognize how quickly things could change for your industry. And you've been a great help in trying to keep, you know, the uh, wolves at the door, so to speak. Thank you, Jamie. If I didn't see it firsthand, I would tell you I'm not an attorney. I'm not a lobbyist. I'm, you know... I- I saw it firsthand last year, and I, 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 that's when I decided that we needed to do something here in Tennessee and hire a representation. And, and speaking of representation, by the way, thank you for your kind words. I'm humbled. Um, the, how important is to have the right lobbyist as well, too? Because that's something that we don't talk about a lot. We say, we need to have a lobbyist. Okay, let's just grab the first person off the street. But there is a process, not only finding the right lobbyist, but also then the process of educating is something that I had to go with Dick Lodge here 
uh, which I laugh every time I say his name, by the way. I just think it's fitting for our industry. But, um, <laughs> you know, with, 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 uh, with uh, Richard here, I had, you know, to sit down and explain the product as well, too, because it is a new, it's a new technology product. Uh, he has to understand how we work. He has to understand that we're not big tobacco, which is extremely important, because if RGR puts a vapor product bill on the table, it doesn't mean that we're with them, right? Uh, uh, how important right. is it to find the right lobbyist and you know, and then to train them as well as you're moving ahead to legislation? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think that's key because, for instance, just like us, we, you know, we don't make a living off of one industry, so to speak. I mean, there are lobbyists who are employed by a single industry. Uh, we, our model here in Florida, by most, lo- most lobbyists, period, is to have kind of a lawyer's model, which is, you know, most lawyers have multiple clients. And, you know, so so number one, you need to make sure you have a lobbyist who does not have a conflict and who is known as being reputable and being known as a hard worker. You also need somebody who is um, known as being able to take on tough issues. Some people are known as uh, just appropriation lobbyists, which mm-hmm. means they work for cities and counties just trying to get funds from state government that obviously is not the person that uh you know we want to we you want to hire policy lobbyists you know people who are known as the legal minds and the and the lobbyist uh workers who are willing to go tackle tough policy subjects and have some sort of record of success in those in those uh in some of those tough industries yeah, and, and you know what, uh, Jamie? You know what, what I have seen here with the Brian Fodick from, which is the Government Affairs Relations uh, representative from Enjoy, who's been extremely helpful to the vaping community and to me personally, told me that a lot of times when sure. he talks to legislators, they don't know that the vaping industry that there is a vaping industry that is not part of Big Tobacco. Most of the legislators assume, because they see the RGR reps there and they're dropping the views and the Mark 10 and their vapor product bills, most of the legislators, especially the older ones, right, they assume that the vapor industry is part of Big Tobacco, and a lot of them are afraid. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're doing this from, from, from uh, you know, they're just in the RGR pockets. They have this ideology because they've been around since the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and they've seen how tobacco control has taken over. They're afraid to not support something because of the Big Tobacco Association. And that is a huge stigma in our industry. And it's something that Brian himself talking to legislators, hey, hold on a second. No, these guys are not Big Tobacco. These are moms and pop stores across the United States that are selling these products. And I think it's extremely vital when we're talking about legislators to get that point across. Well, and that's a, it's a daily effort for us in the Capitol to run into people on a regular basis and you know, for them to say, you know, hey, what are you doing? Oh, well, you know, my, and I do tell people because you are, you know, Vista is my number one client. And I say, hey, listen, I'm working for the e-cigarette industry. I was like that, you know, and I tell them, I was like, each one of these stores are most often individually owned. Somebody may own three or four, but most of the time people own one store. They're, they're uh, employing between five and 15 people, depending on how much product they're moving. And those are families who have jobs that if you regulate this industry, who will be without jobs and then and then talk about how the difference between the mom and pop stores and basically the e-cigarettes that are sold in 7-Elevens and and how, you know, the difference in how consumers 
view those products, how much they enjoy them, and how limited their choice is with the big tobacco products. Right. I mean, you walk into an e-cigarette store, and that's one thing that has really been eye-opening to legislators when we've spoken to them. It's like you walk into a, an e-cigarette store, you know, not only can you get the devices, but let's say they have 50 flavors, but they have them in five different versions, five different uh, levels of, of nicotine, nicotine right. mi- milligrams of nicotine. So it's like you have 250 different products in that store. You walk into 7-Eleven and you have three or four. Right. And, and you might have two or three brands with three or four products. Mm-hmm. And so it's not um, – R.J. Reynolds is very uh, intelligent. They've been involved in the political arena for a very long time. Mm-hmm. They are well-funded, and they have a, strate- a strategic plan to try to defeat you. And in the absence of, of the e-cigarette industry banding together and fighting, fighting hard and pushing back on big tobacco, you, it will be defeated. Yeah. And, they, and that's what we're seeing in state by state. You'll, it might take some of these regulations will go in place. They'll go in place in six months to uh, some of them will go in place in like June or July, some will maybe October 1st or January 1st. But then you'll see within six or 12 months, many stores will not be able to deal with the regulation and they will either sell or go out of business. And that's yeah. their goal. They have their system and they've got the time and the money to wait you out if you are not going to fight. They will they will just systematically pick away until it's no longer in your in your best interest to be in business. Jamie, you've dealt with a lot of industries. I know we talked about the microbrewery case that uh, that you guys are working on last year, and, I, and and I'm sure you you deal with a lot of industries. And have you seen this kind of phenomenon, which has been so hard to 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 explain the concept of how a bill is made into law in this country? I mean, it, it's it, it was one of the things that I I asked Dick Lodge at our meeting in Nashville to explain to the vendors is how a bill becomes a law, right? But have you seen this in any of, I mean, uh, of all the industries that you've worked at, have you seen this much, you know, I mean, I don't call it an apathy. It's just like, I don't, I, I, I truly believe that a lot of vendors well, don't understand. The perfect example in Florida, you mentioned the beer, but, and I think we are very analogous to the beer, the, the small beer and big beer. But I think that the better industry to be careful of is in Florida. There is a little industry called the sweepstakes shops, small mom and pop shops where people they basically came up with a way that people could enjoy gambling with a one-armed bandit type of machine mm-hmm. that where people could win coupons, turn the coupons in for money type of thing. And, and most people went in there and, and during a day and spent 10 or $15. It was more or less a social club. People weren't going in and plopping down their life savings you know, putting it on the roulette wheel, spinning it, and putting mm-hmm. it all on red. These were small shops, very much like e-cigarette shops. In fact, many e-cigarette shops today are in the exact same locations where sweepstakes shops mm-hmm. were. And, you know, there was a controversy about those, and literally the controversy came at a bad political time for those sweepstakes shops that happened in January, right during committee weeks. There was a committee bill filed. Uh, at the beginning of session, they heard the bill. It had already gone through all the committee. They heard the bill in the House, pushed it over to the Senate, sent it to the governor, and within seven working days, probably, Rob, tell me if I'm wrong, I think it might have even been faster, uh, within seven working days that sweepstakes shops went from thriving businesses to locks on their doors yeah. within a week. 
and because the bill the bill passed as law the day it was the day it was signed by the governor and the e-cigarette industry faces if, if big tobacco could do that to us they would do it in a heartbeat yeah we're just one amendment away onto a shell bill like the situation in arkansas we're, we're in all of our states we're one bad amendment away from calamity you know we we really do have there is a possibility that legislation could be added to an, another bill that could shut us down it, it can happen overnight in time yeah. right i mean it can happen overnight rob let me take, just expand that a little bit more or jamie whoever wants to tackle this question do does the representation of of the, the the economic impact that these shops have in the state play a big role in these legislators as well too? I mean, it's one thing if you go in and you say I represent a couple of companies, you know, with three shops in the Florida area or even ten shops or whatever, uh, versus you, you know, a, a lobbyist walking in and say I represent a hundred shops in the state of Tennessee with an average of eight employees each one. It's eight hundred person workforce and they pay X amount of taxes. I mean, it, 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 does that ring with the legislators? How effective it is to use that economic impact in the state is, I guess, my question to show that um, to the legislators. Oh, it's it's hugely important. I, I think you know it's it's one of the most important things. These these shop owners are the voters of these I, House Senate members and and, and cabinet members. I will, I will I will add to that. Number one, I agree wholeheartedly with Rob. Number two. I, I think the the one thing you have to pay attention to is where you are in the process. If you're in the education process, like we have been in Florida for a year, of, of keep you know, last year we passed a good bill that you know just basically we kept it totally to minors, you know, outlawing nicotine products to minors. And so during the last year, we were able to establish ourselves as an industry. We were able to establish ourselves as advocates for children. And so we had some credibility to talk to other people. And so during that process of education, I, we have used the, the hundreds and thousands of people in Florida who are employed, the number of children who are, go to school and have a parent employed because of uh, e-cigarette shops. If you wait until you are standing in front of a committee when all the members have already decided how they're going to vote, and say, oh, by the way, you're going to top 100 people or 800 people, you know, out on their ass, so to speak. That's a lot of people. Gonna, I mean, that's that's a lot of jobs. That it, that at that point in time, you're throwing a hail mary. Right. At the the point in time where information like that is well utilized, is in the education process where you're speaking with these legislators one on one. Right, right. And now, then of I course, say, if you're speaking in front of a committee, by all means share that data, right. but you really need to be sharing that data one-on-one -on -one with legislators when you have them in a calm situation. It's not on, it's, you know, on these committee meetings, they know they're on television. They right. know they don't want to go on record with a whole lot of words. They, you know, so they, it's a great point. they don't want, you know, because all of that stuff will be used against them in a future campaign. I didn't think so about that. That's a great point. In their office, one-on-one. -on -one. That, that is great. I learned something new today. That was, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And, and the, the fact that, you know, kind of, 
publicly embarrass him like that is definitely not the right <laughs> route to go down there. But, I mean, to me, I see it. I think one of our strong points here in Tennessee is now we're up there in the 60s now as far as vendors are concerned. I can really walk into Nashville and say I represent a huge majority of the voters. Uh, and, of course, you know, a lot of real estate. We're, we're counting down square feet in these stores, and I'm compiling the data. Well, I'm not. My volunteers, my wonderful volunteers here in the Tennessee Smoke Free Association, especially Tiffany Everett with the Memphis Group, she's gathering the data of how many square feet every store occupies, and then, you know, obviously adding that up to say, hey, listen, look at this economic impact that we have in the state. Look how much empty space you're going to leave if these shops go out of business, and how many people will lose their job. And I think if you can do that in a private state, especially you go there in their area, you know, the representative's area, in your area, we have X amount of shops and X amount of employees. I think it's very hard for any politician, number one, to send his constituents back to smoking, which I don't really think they, they a lot of them get that. I don't think the health aspect is really ringing a bell with them as much as they can. Go ahead. If you haven't educated, if you haven't educated your legislator and they don't smoke and they don't have smokers in their family, they see vaping as smoking. Yeah. They see no right. difference. Right, right. If you have not educated that person one on one, they see they see smoking and vaping as smoking. Right. You're absolutely right. And so they don't care. You're absolutely they right. They don't care. To them, it's the same thing. Right. Um, lastly, uh, gentlemen, let's let me get to the final now. We're seeing what's happening in Indiana. We're seeing what's happening in Arkansas. These bills have progressed, uh, especially the Arkansas bill, which is, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's it's something that we anticipated. Actually, I take all this information. I forward it to our lobbyists here in Tennessee and I'm because, uh, you know, I want them to see, hey, look, this is what RGR did in Arkansas. They can do it in Tennessee as well, too. Mm-hmm. And and the lobbyist sure. here replied to me, you know, we're keeping an eye, you know, on the mischief, you know, which was a great reply by Dick Lodge because I think he realized he knows the <laughs> RGR lobbyists and that relationship is a good thing to have between the lobbyists to know what the opposition is going to do. But having the lobbyist in place, all it does is it gives you that extra time that you need to warn, you know, whoever you're representing and say, hey, listen, this is exactly what they're planning to do, and this is the action that we should take. And it's something that has not taken place in Arkansas. It has not taken place in Indiana. And other states that I can name right now, they're just it's just pissing me off because this could have been avoided, for crying out loud. Do they have a chance now, is my question. I guess. Do they have a chance now, Jamie, to turn this around? Well, you always have a, I mean, you always have a chance, and I would certainly, if my livelihood was at stake, I would go to whatever meetings I had to try to protect my livelihood, and I, I would encourage people to do so. Um, the, but it's um, certainly contentious. They're behind the eight ball. They, you know, and I think in Indiana and Arkansas, you both had situations where lobbyists kind of were hired. They either weren't the right ones or they were – not they had conflicts of interest is what it sounds like from what i've heard uh from others and and so those are those are concerning things that's one thing that this is is trying to do working with the statewide smoke-free associations is um make sure that we vista and uh vet a lobbyist to try to find the right person and obviously you know obviously in a lot of these states you know, RJR is not one lobbyist. They hire teams of lobbyists. So there's so many people who are conflicted out, and there's folks out there like, well, am I going to go work with this new upstart group, you know, because I have to work with that RJR lobbyist yeah. who isn't just RJR Reynolds. They're also Blue Cross Blue Shield, and I'm MetLife, and I have to work with that guy on insurance issues. So do I really want to go re- Do I want to go lobby for e-cigarettes when I know this other guy's 
main thing. Our main thing is really insurance, but he also does does big tobacco. And so it does get complicated, and it is hard to vet to try to find someone who is able, willing, and can be successful in our arena. And so, you know, that's kind of what we've tried to put together uh, with Vista. Let me uh, change the question just a little bit from an audience member. Uh, realistically, are minds changed in a committee hearing? Is that a realistic expectation? You know, here's the thing. I think I think there are compelling stories that can change minds, and I think depending on where the bill is in the process. For instance, in Florida, it is often if someone you you normally get sent to three committees. If a bill makes it to a committee and is heard by the chairman it's going to pass that first committee. Yeah. I mean, almost without, there, there's very few bills, bills that fail on the first committee stop. But what mm-hmm. you get to do in, during that first committee stop is go go give, go give share your, you know, here here's the negatives of this bill, here's the unintended consequences, blah, blah, blah. So maybe you don't kill, maybe you don't kill the bill there. And, we you know, you always answer back with, I look forward to working with the bill sponsor to take this bill that, really is detrimental to people in our state. And I want to work with them to try to meet their goals, whatever those goals may be, while protecting the rights of my employees and my consumers. Right, right. And so for tobacco harm reduction, I will tell you, using that tobacco harm reduction, if we can work hard to make e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction synonymous, that is, that is, that is powerful. Yeah. And it has worked here in Florida and uh, we've we've we have changed some minds, not in a committee, but one on one. We haven't we haven't gone to a point where we've had a bill come to a committee yet. Right. We've we've been able to keep. That's what we want. One e-cigarette bill <laughs> that, in a committee, other than the one that was to ban the sale of nicotine to minors last year. That's what we right. want. We don't want and it to go to committee. Between having somebody engaged yeah. and involved before, and somebody getting in the committee process and saying, "Oh shit." It's too late. Yeah, absolutely. I, t- I totally agree. You yeah, know, sorry, and, for the, sorry for the language. No, no, it's okay. Please, please feel free. This is this is this is unscripted and uncensored here. Uh, ultimately, in my mind, I'm, and I might be living in a fantasy world, uh, Jamie. Uh, but you know, ultimately, in my mind, what I thought, especially with the southern states that I see being organized, Georgia is very, very close right now. If not, they're already there to hire Vista to to bring a lobbyist into the state of Georgia. Uh, Florida obviously is organized. We have Utah on board. Uh, we've been working with a couple other states, trying to get them organized. It's it's been a, it's been a rough patch, but ultimately, in my mind, what I had. You know, I can't reach out to the West Coast. I can't reach to a lot of these states. All I can do is offer my information. But down here for the South, I mm-hmm. wanted every state to be, you know, create an association to have a lobby representation, and then eventually put them all under a bigger umbrella and say, "This is the South- Southeastern State Smoke Free Association" to show an even bigger sure. economic power on a federal level because we're going to need that eventually when the FDA comes down on us. If we think we got a bad now, it's right. going to be even worse then. But can you imagine the power that we'd have if we'd have one association that represents? seven or eight southern states and then show the economic impact on a federal level you know down the line again i might be you know like john lennon or whatever i might have big big dreams or whatever but i think in florida for instance we in in part of it is how you fund things in florida for instance we have smokefreedefense.org smokefreedefense.org as you know during the convention in tampa we're trying to get people to sign petition we're almost to two thousand people during that process, we ask people to sign up their name, their not their address, but their email address. Right. So we can then communicate to them, here's what's going on in Florida. And if you have listeners from Florida 
I hope they'll go to smokefreedefense.org and mm-hmm. sign the Florida petition. Sure. One of our goals there would be to also, um, it's, it's a way to crowdfund mm-hmm. so that not only vendors who should be ponying, and I don't want to say ponying up, but should take a brunt of, you know, it's lobbying is a business expense. Right, you have a You have a line item for lawyers. You should have a line item for, for government affairs. You know, a consumer, on the other hand, who signs up and says, hey, I want to sign a petition. You know, a lot of people, especially in Florida, where we've been able to keep taxes at bay, you know, save one to $200 a month, sign up and donate $5 a month towards your right to vape. And, and so that's, that's a way that people can help if they sign up in smokefreedefense.org and if they were to donate their uh, their donation would stay in the state in which they are uh, they are from and so that's uh, something that we have made a commitment with smokefreedefense.org yeah. but we're to be clear that's not a new organization it's kind of a tangent of vista and smoke free association right. the florida smoke free right. association because it's it's the only difference is it's a pack and so the goal is to run political activities through right, it, right. including donations to politicians, which in Florida this, this year was the first year we've made donations to politicians who are, have been supportive of us in the past. And I want to tell you that that made a huge difference. And I mean, I and, and for a very small amount of money compared to what some of these folks receive, we gave a few folks, and I mean a few folks, uh, $500 checks. Yeah. I think we gave four, four people out of 160 $500 checks yeah. for our, a total of $2,000. And I mean to tell you, we walked in everywhere and they knew that, that there was an e-cigarette organization. They're politically active. They're now organized and they're willing to be supportive of people who are supportive of them. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Money talks and bullshit walks all the time. And that's why I feel that the economic impact is going to be a huge hurdle for the FDA. Once we get there, if we're able to organize state by state to show our economic power and then take all that information to the OBM, which oversees the FDA, and say, hey, listen, hold on a second right here. The way that you have the deeming regulations set up now, this is what you're affecting. I think it's going to draw media attention. I think a lot of politicians are going to get scared. I think we might have some pull with the Congress. I think we can do big things, but we have to. We can't go from a from point A to point Z without putting the effort in between. And that effort is a state-by-state organization right now, period. In my opinion, again, this is my in my own opinion. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what my opinion is because some people always misconstrue what I'm trying to say. But having a state-by-state association makes sense. Then it's easy to organize them on a federal level and then show a blanket of, can you imagine showing you know, 25,000 employees in the United States, which I think it's more right now in our industry. But I'm just saying a number. 25,000 people for the OBM, they're going to have to really consider this deeming federal regulations before passing them and affecting such a huge workforce in the United States, which unfortunately we can't show now, Jamie. We can't show how many vape shops you have in Florida. We can't show how many people work there. We can't show the economic impact. You know why? Because only a handful have joined the Florida Smoke Free Association. Right. And that's a huge problem. <laughs> and everyone should be willing to protect their interests in this or you know, in this industry. That's the bottom line. Yeah. If you work in this industry or you enjoy these products, it's gonna take a little bit of time, a little bit of work, and a and a nice little bit of and, and a and a financial commitment. Yeah. To be yeah. successful. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean uh, 
we've seen that it's worked in some states, and I think it's a good model to follow. And I hope more states will get serious sure. about it. And I and I and I hope you know. I want to thank you and Rob for taking the time to come on. I want to thank the entire Capital Access Group for helping us launch this in these various states because we definitely couldn't do it with the budget that we had at the time. Hopefully that will change. I don't think the economic thing will be an issue as we're moving forward as more and more of these vendors see what's happening in other states and how it could affect their business overnight and and ultimately be put out of business. Right, Jamie? Well, you know we're here for you anytime, Demetrius, and I agree with you that – you know, we can't sit here and say because things are going well today in Florida that we're not going to face one of these amendments when we wake up tomorrow sure, morning. Absolutely. So it is an ongoing effort. It is a full-time effort, and it is, and it takes a lot of time. It, it just takes a lot of time and work to do it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, Rob and I both have families to feed as well, and this is this is what we do for a living. And so those things are, you know, it, it does take a financial commitment. To, and, and right now, there's, uh, you know, we have taken, and, and as well as you know, and a lot of others, that we've taken a financial commitment to say we believe in this industry enough, and we want to organize it as much as we can, either southeast regionally or nationally, to make sure that when the FDA does come, and I, and I'm not convinced the FDA is not giving RJR and you know Altria and the others enough time to try to kill this industry in the crib mm-hmm. so that they do not have to mm-hmm. really come up there. They won't be affecting big numbers of people who are consumers or totally employees agree. or vendors because it'll, if, you, if, they can, if they can tackle 25 states, guess what? It won't have the economic impact. That's a great point. Because right. now it's, like okay, it's, already been, it's already been kind of decided. Right. And so now sure. it's been much easier for FDA to come down and, and put the heavy hand down on the rest. Right, right. That is a great point, Jamie. All right, VistaTruth.org, SmokeFreeDefense.org. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Smoke Free hey, Radio. Demetrius, we're here for you anytime. See you at VCC, I hope. Thanks. All right, gentlemen, have a good one. Uh, and, you know, that, you. Was, that was a great point that he said there at the end, and that's something that I didn't even think about. I mean, it's always great to learn new stuff, but maybe this is an attempt by RGR to kind of, you know, choke the industry on a state level. And then the FDA, it's pretty much easy for them. They only have to regulate RGR and Altria. I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense to me now. It does. It actually does. It just kills out the playing field. And it's also one, one of these plans that, you know, I talked about, you know, a couple months ago when we did the, the conference in Tampa and I, and I said to the crowd, you know, we shifted our focus to the, to the federal regulations when the FDA deeming regs dropped and everybody didn't pay attention on a state level. And what happened? You know, we're paying attention to the FDA regulations, RGR sneaking in the back, doing all this pre-work for the upcoming legislation session. And now while we're focused on the FDA, boom, they're starting to drop it on states. Now we're shifting our, you know, our focus to the states. But by this point, a lot of them have been pre-decided. And we're playing catch-up again. That's, and it's never good, especially against the, the budget that RJR has. If you thought the California Department of Health has unlimited uh, funds... RJR has unlimited funds, okay? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, and also the other thing that he said about, you know, that these politicians are kind of put on the spot. I think that was a great point as well, too. I, never, I didn't even think about that. Going into committee hearing, and I've seen this sometimes with some vapors that are really passionate. You try to embarrass and try to, you know, disprove the politician. And this politician's on the stand. Everybody's looking at him. It's being recorded. The audio, the video's being recorded. You know, he doesn't want to be put in that position. It actually kind of lenience probably more than anything else. 
And uh, also, I want to clarify why I said that the OBM, yeah, does not the OBM does not oversee the FDA, but they do analyze the economic impact of the decisions of the FDA. I want to clarify that. That is correct. Thank you for correcting me. Um, uh, Angela asked, "What does the distribution chain mean? The tobacco distribution chain?" I want to just quickly elaborate on that, and then I'm going to get to my next caller. Chris is waiting patiently on the line. What happens is in some states, if you're going to fo- have to file a tobacco license, for example, you, you have to apply with a state. You have a vape shop. You apply for a tobacco license. Uh, they grant you the tobacco license. Based on the state law, if you have a tobacco license, that means that you can only purchase wholesale from the authorized tobacco wholesale suppliers in that state. And those have to register. They have to pay a fee. Uh, and it's usually, you know, some big distribution companies that distribute cigarettes, let's say, to the C-stores. You know, they have a company that distributes within the state to all the gas stations to the supermarkets and all the tobacco products whether that's you know pipe tobacco or whether it's cigarettes or cigars or whatever it is that means that if you have a vape shop and you've registered with this license um, that you're going to have to only buy product from them and I guarantee you that there's no tobacco wholesale supplier in any state right now that wants to carry 200 flavors of a juice in four nicotine strings it's just not going to happen well, it's virtually impossible for it to happen, uh, but also they're just not going to do it. So that means if you were buying from Niquid, for example, in the state of Indiana, and they pass this where you have to apply to get this license, uh, Niquid, you're not, not going to be able to buy from Niquid into your state. Does that make sense? I hope. Does that make sense, Em? Did I, did I clarify it pretty good? I think so, yeah. I just want to make sure that, 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 that they understand why this is bad. This is why Arkansas is bad right now. The way that they have it worded, it's just the... It's opening the door. Oh, yes. You know, all vendors see is like it's $100 a year for a license. That's not a lot of money. Well, yeah, it's not a lot of money. But why is RJR, think about it. Just even if you have no clue about legislative session, why is RJR, a big tobacco company, proposing a bill that's going to force vape shops to pay $100 for a license? Why? It's not like they have your best interest in mind. It's not like they're trying to help legislators to say, okay, well, it's just $100 and we're going to pass this, right? Just think about it. It's just opening up that door, you know, next year or even before next year. As soon as you pass the license, I say, oops, you know, we forgot to tell you that since you have this license, you can only buy from the authorized four or five tobacco wholesalers in the state, um, which are big, big companies with big lobbying money. You're not going to be able to fight that, okay, unless you create a black market. And I'm sure they're going to tack on some fines of that as well. Uh, there's got to be something in the statute in every state that says if you don't buy to avoid, you know, black market of cigarettes state to state and stuff like that. There's huge fines. So if they catch in your vape shop and you're selling Niquid and Niquid is not an authorized distributor into the state that you're selling the product in, you know, uh, the penalties might be, you know, crazy. You might even face prison time or jail time or whatever. You know, I don't know what it is. I know that it is in some states. I don't have all the specifics. But I just wanted Angela to understand and everybody that's listening is that's how they do it. That's why it's always been my stance and it's been Vista's stance and it's been everybody that advocates for this product. We don't accept anything except an 18 minor ban. That's the only thing that we accept. We're pending federal regulations. The states don't have any right to do anything until we get those federal regulations. Who's pushing it? RJR. Well, except Indiana where it's Macau gaming and that's another clusterfuck over there. It's, it's, it's really, that's, that's even worse. But RJR is pushing that. Why? They're going to disrupt the distribution chain of the product into the states. It's going to put the vape shops out of business. It's going to put the manufacturers out of business. Eventually, maybe that's their plan, getting to the FDA saying, hey, listen, we're the only ones that have that product in there. We're a stick battery, menthol, tobacco, regulate it. Let's get the shit done. 
<sighs> I hate vaping. I'll go back to smoking. <laughs> I felt like that the last time. I never had these. This, this, I never got this upset when I was smoking. Never. Oh. I mean, my blood pressure is rising right now. I feel like 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 vaping has a, this a detrimental effect on my health right now. <laughs> I'm supposed to feel better. What the hell is going on? All right. Um, let me go ahead and pick up on Chris here. He's been waiting patiently. Join us now from Pennsylvania. My good friend and owner of Fat Cat Vapor Shop, Mr. Chris Hughes. Chris, what's going on? Dimitri, my friend, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm I'm okay, I guess, uh, given the circumstances. Uh, I know you've been waiting patiently there. Wait, and <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. You're too tense. You got to calm down, man. You know, I gotta, <laughs> you know, I've always got to be like do a Buddha thing with you. It's relaxed. It's gonna be okay. Well. I, I try to be okay, Chris, and you know my stance. You know, you know how passionate I am about this, 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 this product and about this community. And you know, it, it bugs the hell out of me because it, it seems like some vendors have given up and they're willing to say, "Okay, you know, okay, it's just a hundred dollar fee. Let's just go with it, whatever." You know, okay, it's just an, a small excise tax. It's only five cents. Uh, not even understanding what the word excise tax means. You know, it, it, I feel that yeah. way, and that's not a good feeling to have, especially when when you're trying to advocate for the product. You, you feel me? Well, yeah, and and those vendors aren't located in PA. I'm here to report to you. <laughs> well, tonight. that's what I want to hear. First, if you don't mind, at first, if you don't mind, I'd like to throw a call to action out because on the way home, actually, I had a double the length trip home because um, something is going on in Philadelphia tomorrow, and I'd like to if you have some if there's some people out there listening in Philadelphia I just got it. tomorrow. There's there's going to be hearing at 10 a.m. about an amendment to the uh, to the to the uh, smoking and vaping ban use bans that are there. Um, that is very unusual. We're not sure what it is. I'm getting some mixed information on it. Um, but if anyone could show up at City Hall tomorrow, uh, at 10 a.m. to speak about that, it well, would be terrific. Um, you probably will be allowed to speak, and uh, it's uh, I don't know. It's very unusual. It's going to affect waivers that people have. So some clubs. Some private clubs and drinking establishments may be able to have a waiver for actually for smoking, but mm-hmm. then they won't. It, the, the amendment would block some clubs from being able to get an e-cig use ban. So people would be in a in a place. It's possible that there could be establishments of people you could be allowed to smoke cigarettes, but you would have to go outside to vape. Uh, I'm looking at the bill right now. Yeah, and I, I'm looking at the bill right now. I actually got it like two minutes before before starting the show, and I didn't have a chance to look at it. But since you're talking about it, I brought it up. Uh, according to what I have here in front of me, it's amending uh, the existing regulation of individual conduct right. and activity to modify certain exception, exceptions entitled smoking prohibited. Uh, and entitled electronic smoking devices on all under certain terms and conditions. So, if it has the term e-cig inside there, you you bet your butt on it's going to have some kind of a restriction use involved with it. Uh, but let's get to the state. Well, the latest word I have from Greg on it is that uh, according to a, a staffer in the sponsor's office, their intent isn't to take the way the waiver away from anyone that already has it. But it's to actually to stop people from applying for new waivers. Yeah. Whatever yeah, that means. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still not good. So if you're in the Philly area, city council tomorrow, uh, show up and see what it's all about. At least show up, which is a big, big problem that we have lately as well. Uh, hopefully the guy from Texas will be able to give us more information. But let's get back to the state now. Second, second, second piece of news in New York State real quickly is, um, you know, I've been intimately involved in the Erie County Youth Band that's going on up there, and we have word that tomorrow 
Um, at about 3 o'clock, there will be a press release about that stating whether the county executive is going to, to sign that use ban for the entire of Erie County mm-hmm. um, into effect or if he's going to veto it. So now, I, talk, I, I, now talked, well, I talked about this last week, uh, about the Erie County thing. It's good to know. That, and, and you said tomorrow who's going to make the decision? Tomorrow, tomorrow at 3 p.m. Tomorrow, typically in Erie County, they have um, uh, the legislature meets on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as the legislature is done meeting at 3 p.m., he's going to offer um, his thing. We don't even think the legislators know. We think he'll tell them right before they go into the legislative hearing. So we'll see what happens. Because uh, Bill Godshaw went up, who's terrific, and you know our friends Andy and CJ from Bay Patrol were very involved yeah, in it. Yeah, a lot. I, I, Some of the vendors from up there. I talked about it in ex- in extensively last week. Actually, Ian from MOV called in as well too, and, and told me about his involvement and the people that showed up. Um, what are your feelings about it? You think it's going to pass? Well, I don't know. You can <laughs> you can flip a coin. I know I spent a lot of time up there. I went. Up I know you twice. did. Um, to fight that because I have a lot of a lot of my friends are up there and I, I don't think that um, fighting um, bad anti e-cig bills should really I think that sh- people should be willing to cross state borders sure. to help their friends out Absolutely. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time up there trying to stop that two consecutive weeks and uh, we'll see I mean I contacted all the people we worked very hard on it and if we lose this thing um, there's nothing else I can confidently say there's nothing else really we could have done Um, i've sent handwritten notes to legislators um you know emails uh you know went up and visited them in person and had meetings with them including with the with the sponsor of the bill uh mr savage so yeah what are you gonna do m m by the way you know from 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 a uk perspective and a vapor perspective there versus you know the involvement that we have here do you think that it's just a general apathy just simply because we have this availability of product and everybody's happy we get our wire we get our juices we get everything everything that we need is available right there's no restrictions anywhere in in reality do you think that apathy exists from that yeah i do so I mean I just don't want to say it's an American thing or whatever. It's just a general thing. It was just a population thing, I guess. No, it's it's over here too. A lot a, a lot of it it comes down to well I have everything I need so I don't really have to do anything. Yeah. Somebody else yeah. will take care of it for me. Yeah, that that's that's just the worst. That's just the worst you know feeling to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I don't know. Chris, let's get back to the state now. I, you know, me and you, yeah. we've been friends for a very, very long time. And I, I respect your business model. You're, you're doing great. You have, a, you know, a, a, a very well-known shop. You're doing good business. You have employees. You're helping people quit smoking. We've talked about creating a state association there last year is when our discussion started, mm-hmm. correct? And and you correct. you yeah. found a lot of opposition uh, well, maybe not call it opposition, but just mixed feelings, I guess, when when you approach some vendors. Before we get to what was formed now, talk a little about the struggle that that you faced leading up to the point where you are now. Well, I, you know, I mean, last year, Dimitri, we, we worked, we kind of started working on setting up a state association, but I think the common knowledge in the state was, the common thinking was that we were pretty safe here in PA, and, you know, when you feel like you're in a safe place... right. Um, this is all a lot of work to do this, whether it's a state association or a Safada chapter. Believe me, I'm so tired right now. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm telling what Stefan was saying earlier. <laughs> but uh, um, I think we got apathetic about it, and we kind of stopped. And, and then when I started talking about a state association, I think a lot of the resistance was because, well, we had already kind of met a lot of the vendors in the state had joined Safada with the intensive 
uh, intention of setting up a state chapter. Right. And then we never followed through on it. They thought we should just go ahead and continue and follow through on it. So, and also, you know, there's a lot of debate about that. And both models are really good in, in certain circumstances. Both have their strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. whether you want to ha- be in part of a Safada chapter or um, a state association. Right. They're both good. And, you know, we work with everyone, you know, sure, sure. in our Safada chapter and always will, as long as I have anything to say about it. I don't care what you do, as long as you do something. <laughs> that is, that is the end. That is the end point. Uh, but things are not calm in PA right now, and you do have bills that are on the table. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, we, me, and you discussed that when I saw you up in Washington a few weeks ago. And and what? Tell us briefly what these bills are. The ones that are on the table now. Something that maybe some of the vendors there never thought would come to their state. Right. We well, we have four bills right now. The most onerous of them, um, the, our new governor Wolf, um, has asked for a 40% wholesale cost other tobacco products, OTP tax, um, that would apply to smokeless tobacco, cigars, and specifically electronic cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, they have released a 144-page uh, um, document, legislative document, how it would be implemented. It's, it's kind of unusual a little bit. Um, so, you know, we're very interested in fighting that, obviously. That's our first issue because the budgetary concerns in our legislature here in PA get taken care of first. They have a June 30th deadline to have to have the budget negotiate with the, with the governor. And our governor is a Democrat, and our legislature, both houses, controlled by Republicans. So that's going to be con- controversial and confrontational a little bit. So we sure. want to have our messaging out there. We want to have our lobbyists in place, um, and we want to have um, our customers and our shops taking action. We're organizing a situation with that. And also, we want to have our vendors going out and meeting with their legislators and not being the, afraid to do that. The 40% wholesale, again, to me, is it, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, if, if you were listening, about the distribution of the product as well, too. I mean, how do they control the wholesale tax if the product is coming in from, you know, UPS and DHL from all over the, the, you know, the country or the world at this point? It, it will have to be controlled at the point of distribution in within the state in order to control the wholesale well, tax of the product, right? That's the thing, you know. That's the thing that I think people haven't thought through. I mean, they're yeah. used to dealing with cigarette taxes and things coming through bonded right. warehouses. Right. Very centralized distribution, which is the, you know, as we've discussed in the past, um, distribution channels for e-cig shops are very fragmented. I mean, sometimes yeah. stuff's coming from China, sometimes it's coming from California or Florida right. or Ohio. You know, so it's very difficult. It would it would be something that would be difficult for them to enforce. I think so. I mean, that's something we're going to be. The burden that would be placed on the state by this tax would be um, astronomical if any vendors could survive. But, I mean, as you know, um, when you're in the ESIG industry, it's a great industry to be in. But, I mean, every day you compete with out-of-state online vendors. Um, that, and if they don't have that tax, and you're talking about adding 40% uh, to the, bo- the wholesale bottom line of a business, you're done. It makes it really impossible to compete. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I, I wouldn't shop at my own shop if I could right. buy things online for <laughs> that's thirty right. or forty percent cheaper. That's, that's a right. huge price that's increase, right. you know. So we're we're viewing this bill as very anti-business. We have um, been doing a lot of work over the last year, and we've identified most of the shops, especially shops. We have about 150 in PA. We actually have a Google document that we've right. thrown up, and we ask our vendors to add new shops as they see them spring up and get contact information of them. So we're doing a really good job of that here so far. We were before even today. So uh, let's talk about the other bills that are on on, on the table as well, too, briefly. Okay. 
we we have a statewide use ban, uh, and that's not good. Uh, mm-hmm. We're obviously going to oppose that, and a packaging standards ban that we're going to oppose, and a minor ban that actually is really quite good, except for one provision in it. So we, if we could get one sentence stricken out of this minor ban, we would actually support it. it would, you know, I mean, as it is, we might not even oppose it as it is, but it's it's a provision that deals with selling e-cigarettes out of their original packaging. I know mm-hmm. you're familiar. You've seen those right, things before, right, like right. Lucy cigarette kind of thing ported right. over to e-cig. Right, right. And it doesn't fit our category either. That's another m- misleading thing with some of these state legislations that are coming. You know, the childproof cap is another thing that, that a lot of people have just just misunderstood completely. The childproof cap, you know, makes sense, right? Let's say, you know, it's a tobacco product. It's a nicotine product. You have to have childproof caps. I think, you know, I mean, whether you agree or you disagree, I guess that could be a personal opinion, but from a regulatory standpoint, I think it's going to be required anyway by the FDA. Might as well do it now. But the caps that are in the market right now, the majority of them don't fit what's considered the federal standard of a child-proof cap. It has to be be approved uh, by the federal government to be used in a nicotine product. The majority, yeah. if not all of them, the majority, I'm not going to say all of them, I, that's that's bad, but the majority of the caps now that exist on the market, even though they're child-proof, they don't m- meet the requirements. So, you know, if, if, if you're unaware of this and you're in a state where your lobbyist says, well, it's just child-proof cap law, it makes sense, everybody agrees, let's go ahead and pass it, and then you read that it's a specific cap that you have to have, that, you know, honestly, it's not that much more expensive. You know, I did some checking around, and it's like four or five cents more per, you know, per cap versus, you know, the Chinese ones, whatever. Uh, even if the cost was an issue, I don't think it's an issue at this point. But if you accept that, that means that all the product that you're getting in from distributors across the United States, a guy that's making it out in California e-liquid, and you're buying it from him, you wouldn't be able to sell the product in your store. Yeah, that's correct. That's, uh, you know... Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk to use, I think, to uh, to talk to legislators about um, last week, I, I'm pretty sure you were aware that I was in D.C. on Capitol sure. Hill all day for one day with yeah. the, a Spada flying. So we were lobbying members of Congress, and through that, we discovered that Senator Nelson and Senator Aote have a bill that has some pretty wide sponsorship in the Senate that is a federal um, child packaging standard yeah. law that it contains preemption in it. So that means that once, if we can get something going with that bill, and we support it very, very much as Safada and, and uh, Safada does, I should say, and, and um, everyone should, I think. It's it, that's a, that's a tricky situation is, because I hear a lot of opposition within the community about that. No, it's 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 a good bill because what will happen if that bill passes, Dimitri, is that um, that takes something off the table that people are hitting us over the head with at the state right. level. So that means we don't have to dedicate resources to fight these bad bills at the state level. Um, there is one federal standard, and the issue that you raised is very legitimate about sourcing of actual caps that will comply with right. that standard. But the great thing is about it is it sets the standard um, in this bill. There was a previous version that set it as, as, as um, um, a seal, uh, ceiling versus a floor. So um, states could make a more stringent standard before what this one sets is the, the maximum standard in this bill. So it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic for us. It would eliminate anything at the state level. So that kind of, we can point that out to legislators that you're kind of spinning your wheels if you pass this now because there's a federal piece of legislation right, right. that's coming in the pipeline right now. So Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, I get it, Chris. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying uh, what the perception is. 
and that perception has to change. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think right. these are steps that a lot of manufacturers could have taken already, okay? But they're not in sure. place. And it affects state legislation as well right now because there's a lot of childproof caps, including Arkansas, including Tennessee, that are kind of yeah. hidden. They, they don't appear to be harmful to the industry, but it's just another opening of the door, kind of like the license thing that we talked about earlier, kind of like the excise tax that we talked about. It's exact opening up the door again to, to restrain and choke hold the industry. You're, if you don't have product to sell in a vape shop, you're going to close your doors, period. This is, this is just, it's just plain economics, right? If you can't get product shipped into your store, you're going to shut down your doors. And, and you're a shop owner, and you understand how, how difficult that would be for you if the, the manufacturers of the product that you're selling, the e-liquid that you're selling, can't come to your door. You would have to be fat cat you know, CD store tomorrow. It's a good idea, yeah. by the way. Well, yeah, that's that's true, and uh, you know, I think one of the things that's important is is that we, you know, we do obviously it very organized, and when people um, manage to successfully organize the vendors in their state, they shouldn't be afraid to take that message across state lines to a neighboring state and help them. Um, I'm working with some people in New York right now. Um, I'm very concerned about what's going on in New York right now, and I have a great number of friends that are in the industry up there. Um, and I would like to see them get organized and begin to fight effectively. I mean, here, here's a great piece of news for you. I'm going to drop your blood pressure five points. We raised a lot of money today at our chapter formation okay. meeting. So we are way, way on the road um, to getting our lobbyists hired. I think prob- probably we can have that done and set up here and the lobbyists trained in a few weeks. Right. So that's very vital. That is, that is fantastic. You, okay? No, that is good news for me. You know, I'm always happy to see organization and representation in the industry. I absolutely love it. Every time I see vendors coming together, especially, you know, people that just d- didn't get along for whatever reason, you know, their egos or whatever in the past, and I see them coming together, to me it's a fantastic thing. One of the things that Doug uh, Hughes from Boilermaker just dropped in the chat is the Attorney General of New York is issuing subpoenas to e-liquid companies to provide proof of childproof caps and supporting documentation that they have been tested. I guarantee you... I'm not saying everybody again. I'm saying 95% of the industry is not using that cap. And I know this. I, I mean, I, I talk to e-liquid manufacturers almost on a daily basis. I have a lot of friends in the industry. Everybody's scrambling to find these caps or get the caps that they're buying from approved. And the approval process is about $15,000 per size, and but it's a lengthy process. So if you have a supplier that's giving you caps, they can't just go to the federal government and just say, okay, well, I need a, you know approval. For, it's a lengthy process to get that through. It's just a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of paperwork as anything in the government, <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever try to deal with them. So it's it's a bad thing. The childproof cap has to be a standard within the industry. I remember the first FADA meeting that I attended, uh, I think it was last year in Chicago, where there was somebody um, from the EU there, uh, and M, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that, that was kind of shocked that we didn't have an industry-wide uh, standard, so to speak, if you want to call it that, on child-proof caps, which is something that is, uh, and it's in the in the tobacco products directive, obviously, but it's yeah. something that's being applied now as a, as, a, 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 as a standard. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a standard on how the cap is going to be uh, on the e-liquid containers uh, in the EU. Um, I think the TPD changes that one up a little bit, but as far as right now, um, it's been an industry-supported um, child-proof cap bottles end of um it's very rare that i come across an e-liquid company that doesn't have a childproof cap and if i have come across them they're you know somebody who's mixing e-liquid at their desk and selling it on ebay right 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 but that is definitely that is something that um 
is not a big issue over here. Right. Pretty much every single company has a childproof cap on their bottles. Right, right. And this guy was shocked. He was from I, I forget his name. He was one of the speakers from the EU that for, that came. He probably was from the UK. I think his his, his accent was uh, British, but. He didn't know, and then when somebody mentioned it in the in, in the audience when they were taking the Q and A's, they were shocked that we didn't have an industry standard as far as the cap is concerned. Which kind of shows you the baby of the industry and how you know we haven't gotten to the point where where some of the stuff could have been implemented. All right, back to PA again. I don't want to get off track. Um, so oh, yeah. you, you had the formation meeting today. How many vendors do you have now supporting the the Svada chapter that you guys have launched there? Yes. Well, we have um, we have about thirty vendors in the state, which is up by probably about a half dozen. So we're really at, at a, uh, probably twenty percent or over already um, in Safada membership. And and one of the messages that we're taking out there when we're working on this the struggle here with the state right now um, is that people don't have to be a Safada member to help us. I know Stefan did an incredible thing with raising money out there with the fundraisers we everyone right. knows about um, a few months ago. And, about 30% of that money came from, was donated by non-Safada members. Um, we've actually even talked about having people that are involved in our supply chain, bottle manufacturers. Um, you know, someone has a, gets a lot of paper or something as a larger vendor, you know, um, right. to, to, to hit them up. But also um, vendor, other e-cig vendors um, in Pennsylvania that are not members of Savada are welcome to join in with this, with us, um, with, uh, with money monetary donations right right um and in return all of the materials that we're making um to help in the state are are distributed to every vendor in the state we don't make a distinction on that we have some guides for talking to legislators um and we're and some information for how we have we're working on fine-tuning a system whereby of postcards that vendors can have in their shop with lists of the senator and representative by township Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can encourage their customers to, to send a postcard in real yeah. quick. So, that, I mean, um, all of that's shared with everyone in the state. So, and what? the vendors have, I'm so proud of, I can't say enough, strongly enough, stress how proud I am of the vendors in the state. I mean, we've seen so many problems with things like this getting off the ground in here in PA. It's, it's, it's really, it's a joy to work with all these people. They're really my friends and, and all yeah. my family too. Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad that you guys got organized. It's nice to see the response. One of the issues that I run down here with the vendors is like, oh, I'm already a Spada member. And it's, you know, you have to explain to them that this is not the same movement. And I think a lot of that confusion stems from the Spada local chapters as we're trying to form or whatever you're trying to form in your state. Is that somebody, you know, is already a Spada member. is like, oh, I'm not going to join this effort. I'm already a Spada member. But a state, a state effort is completely different than what Spada's doing on Capitol Hill and what they're doing on a federal level. And I think it's extremely important for the vendors to realize that and to understand that, even if it's just going to be a one-shot thing, here's five grand, put it into the pot, it's going to help us fight this legislation, just do it. Don't, you know, try to find, you know, the little ways out or, you know, (laughs) take away from your profits or you say, you know, it's not valid anymore. A state threat right now is extremely important. And and as you can see in various states out there, it could definitely put the industry out of business. And I I, I like you, Chris. I don't want to see you go out of business. You know, more than oh, anything, you're you're a good friend. That's not going to happen. People keep telling me good luck. They keep saying I make my own luck. So um, <laughs> we're not going to lose this fight at all. And the reason we're not is because all the vendors have come together and are being so generous with the donations um, towards hiring a lobbyist that I, I I'm. I'm more concerned about New York in a way than I am yeah. about what's going to happen in PA. I know it's a lot of work ahead of us, but yeah, um, we'll yeah. win. 
you got to start somewhere, and obviously you have over there, and I'm really proud of you guys, and I'm proud that you got something started. And, and, and some of the drama and some of the egos put them aside because the, the threat is real. You have the bill on the table now in PA, uh, as other states do, and, and it's up to you guys to, to save your business, and, and, that, and that's, you know, that's the least that you could do for your customers and the ones that, are, that, that you have helped transition from combustible tobacco. Uh, Pamela's speech down in, at VCC was very, very powerful to me. It's on the replay on my, my YouTube channel. When she said that a lot of you in this business are, you know, how many times have your customers come in and, and cried and, and literally thanked you for, for saving their lives? I mean, that's a really powerful money's great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, who doesn't want money? I mean, you need all money to operate. Right. But I mean, just having these customers touch your heart like that and tell you. And I know in your case over there, I mean, you've told me stories of, you know, 70 year old ladies coming in and crying and, and grabbing your hand and telling them that you've changed their life and extended their life. And that's a very powerful thing. I think you owe it to these customers to fight um, not only for your business, but for the industry as a whole. Yeah. I mean, all of the vendors and I've talked to many of them in the last two weeks um, have all expressed, you know, their top concern. And this is part of why I think this industry is so amazing. Um, Their number one concern to fight this is to maintain access to their products. And their number two, um, you know, is their business and their employees taken care of. So, I mean, we're out there, we're fighting for our customers um, we love our customers, um, and uh, we just we want to make sure that they have easy and red- readily available access, not just to the products, but also to the support that we can offer them through the shop. Well, when they have questions, we think people are much more successful at making the transition from combustible cigarettes to vaping if they can come into a shop and ask questions. It's something I didn't have three and a half years ago, Absolutely. almost four years ago when I started vaping. We had to order everything o- offline, and there's nothing wrong with online vendors. Um, you know, it offers a great variety in the marketplace. But, I mean, as far as having a, a network of brick-and-mortar stores in the state, that's a huge resource sure. for vaping. I mean, sure. it's terrific. Uh, Chris, anything else that you want to add? If people are in PA, vendors in PA, and they want to contact you, they want to join up this effort, what do they have to do? Um, they, uh, the first thing I would recommend they do is um, on Facebook, we have a, a PA shop owners group. Um, mm-hmm. on Facebook that's a closed group so um, they could ask to join that group um, give us the information on what shop you're at and we'd love to have them in there um, if they would like to join Safada right away that's terrific if they would just like to join our efforts um, with um, you know Safada members and non-Safada members that's great and they'd like to see hey business people want to see what kind of value they're going to get for their money sure, sure. And if they watch for a little bit they'll see that we're going to we're going to provide them a great value so. right that's fantastic Chris Thank you so much for coming on. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, see you in Niagara Falls? I will be there. And uh, uh, we'll have to, if you get any more information on what Doug was talking about about New York, please yeah. email it to me because there's a vendors meeting in New York City tomorrow. I have some friends that are attending, and I'd like to get that information so they have that um, tomorrow. Cheryl and all of them have that in New York City. Well, Doug has me on Facebook. I hope he can be, uh, uh, he'll be able to message me some information. I can forward it to you and pass it on to the I guys over in I New York. I think Doug and I are friends on Facebook. Okay. I met him in Vegas, and I'll, I'll, I'll shoot him a message right now and ask him for that. Fantastic. So, now that I'm thinking about it. Thank you, Chris. And, Thanks uh, so we'll, much for having me on. Thanks. I look so forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, we're going to have a good time up in Niagara Falls. We're going we're gonna to drink and, uh, and try to forget about vaping for a little bit. That's impossible. We'll drink, but we probably won't forget about vaping. You're right about that. From my experience. Uh, Say Uh, hi to your lovely wife. Is she done? Did she get her diploma, by the way? Is she she finished? 
No, uh, May 9th, she's going to graduate. She's almost done with her dissertation. I'm so very proud of her, and we're, we're working on, uh, we're, when I find two minutes, we're going to go set up uh, plans for our uh, graduation, and it's a graduation anniversary for you, our 13th anniversary. <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. Month, so. That is fantastic. All right. Thank you, Chris. Have a lovely evening over there in PA. All right. You too. All the best to your family, Dan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Chris Hughes, owner of Fat Cat Vapor Shop. Uh, by the way, tomorrow, 1.30 uh, p.m. Uh, at the Indiana State House, there is a shop owner and consumer rally, of course, fighting the dirty bill there in Indiana. Um, Indiana is very, very simple. It used to be very complicated for me, but M, it's it's now plain and simple. You can see the lobby groups that are behind this bill. Yeah. Monument Enterprises USA LLC is the company which is owned by Zach Lichen. He is the CEO. His VP is a former tobacco executive. Uh, his lobby group is the same lobby group from uh, Centaur Gaming, which is the company that owns the casinos there in Indiana. Uh, also, lobbyists uh, that have ties to Zach Liking are part of the uh, liquor distribution lobbyists that are in support of this bill. So it's plain and simple. They're trying to just monopolize the market in Indiana through Monument Vapor. It's it's a shame to see, but a lot of money has been dumped into this. A lot of money. We're talking about five lobby groups being hired to push this bill through. And, you know, I, I just don't see how Indiana, unless some miracle happens and it gets vetoed or, or the huge media attention, will be able to, to, to stop this from happening. But it's just moving so fast from committee to committee that it's 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 sickening to to me that we didn't have representation in their lobby representation to fight and at least you know get our our word heard uh none of the amendments that they promised obviously you know to the industry are going to happen it's just not going to happen um one more call i think i think if i'm not mistaken uh this is jeff basinger from texas jeff are you there Hey, Demetrius. Hey, what's going Did on? Did I get your name right? Yeah, it's instead, close enough. Instead of just Demi? He used to say Demi, man. It, it was Phil, I think, who got that started. <laughs> was it? That fucker. It, uh, it was. Well, that's that's who I picked that from. Well, you know, I mean, he. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I credit Phil yeah. for Demi, and I also credit him for Pink. If I'm known for anything in this community, I'm known for the color Pink. I, all my advocacy work has gone down the hey, drain. Pink so, bad. <laughs> so what's I'm, going I'm on? I'm a fan of Pink myself. Thank you, buddy. Uh, tell me what's going on. Well, yeah, my name is Jeff Basinger. You can call me whatever you want, by the way. Right, uh, I'm uh, I'm a, just a vapor, a citizen in Austin, Texas, keeping it weird down here. Uh, I am a new vaping militia trooper as mm-hmm. of like three weeks ago because I'm a member, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just wanted to give you all a quick rundown of what went down here in the great Republic of Texas. So, okay. uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. So you showed up over there at the Capitol to speak, which I have to commend you. Uh, any vapor that takes the time off to 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 go to any kind of hearing and, and support the rights to vape to me uh, is commendable. So, uh, th- was this your first experience, by the way, in an advocacy kind of setting to show up uh, at a hearing like this? It was, it was, man. This was my first rodeo. This was my introduction to the way that government works, and uh, I'm just now getting over the nausea. So, tell me about your experience. And so, well, so yesterday, uh, and for those listening on replay, this was Tuesday, March 24th, uh, the Texas House Committee on Public Health held a meeting at which a number of bills were presented, including House Bills 81, 170, 970, 2321, 646, and 647. There were a whole bunch of, uh, of them. Uh, Senate Bill 97 was mentioned, uh, but it wasn't discussed uh, because this was a, a hearing for the House Committee, not the Senate Committee. I think there's one other in the Senate. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the call to action from Kassaw and the vaping militia, and uh, this was right in the town of Austin, so I popped down to see what I could do. Uh, there were a lot of people from Safada there. Absolute, like, huge, huge thanks to uh, Shell Hamill from the Vapor Bar. She's the area lead uh, in Texas for Safada. Uh, Frank Blankenship, I think he's from Houston, and uh-huh. I can't remember what his shop is. Uh, Gary Wood from Wood Creek Vapor, Travis Pretty from Rock Vapor, Chris from Bam, ba- uh, Bam Vapor and Brownwood, a whole bunch of other guys that I'm not uh, that I'm totally forgetting. Uh, Vapor Essence, uh, and I'm not accepting an Oscar or anything. I'll just move on here. <laughs> okay. uh, notably, not present though were the other Texas vape shops, and it was estimated yesterday. It was said yesterday that we have like 2,500. I, I believe present, that, and that just drives me crazy. I believe that. Yep. Yeah, man. I, I mean, especially Austin shops, and and that's what really just pisses me off is Austin shops, except all about vapor, who yeah. who will be getting more of my business and thanks for their support. But all of the Austin shops can't drive 15 miles or less to to help us out. I mean, seriously. Courtney has done they a great job, right and, and Courtney the last year has really messaged me and try to get more involved with advocacy, and I have to commend vendors like that. Uh, you know, I have yeah, to praise absolutely. them. And, of course, you know, Shell as well, too. She's just a wonderful person and a great advocate. But you have to commend the shops that are taking the extra time. Um, obviously, it's a business to them, but also they show that they care. And I think that those vendors should be not only, you know, congratulated, but Vapor should give them their business. Because it just goes to show that you appreciate absolutely. the vendor for doing this. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to shun everybody else that's there. But, damn it, I mean, this is a, a hearing that will limit the, the consumer's choice in electronic cigarettes, the same shit that you sell in your store, and you don't show up. It just pisses me off. 2,500 stores in Texas, then you get five people there. It's just it's ridiculous. It's huge, and one high-profile shop in particular right here in Austin, and I don't want to mention them by name, but let's just say I, I won't be buying a Hexo mod, okay? Um, they they weren't there either, and I was really pissed about that. I mean, a lot of people know these guys. These are nationwide. They're not there. It, it drives me crazy, but all about Vapor and the rest of the shops that were there, they get my dollars. They get my appreciation. I, I think that's – I mean, I wish more Vapors would see that. I wish more Vapors would go out of that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've – I have a lot of good relationships with with people in Texas, especially in the industry as well, too. Mm-hmm. And in the last month, I've gotten a lot of messages from from vendors that are confused. They just don't know what to do. They don't know who to join. You have one, you know, starting an association here, another organization there, a Svada chapter there, and they're just like, "Who do I go with?" And and I'm sure you've seen it. I mean, you 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 sound like you're a community guy. You you frequent a lot of shops. There's there's a lot of dick measuring contests in Texas. I mean, I know everything's bigger in Texas, but it appears like all the shops are like cockfighting. Yeah, yeah, there there is. There's definitely some competition down here. Uh, You know, but from what I've seen, a lot of them do play friendly. But to not know, I mean, at at the very least, get with Safada. You know, you can't. You're you're not going to go wrong with Safada. They're going to to be able to steer you right, and if you don't know that by now, I got a question whether or not you should even have a shop. I wish there was like some kind of a shop university you have to attend before you open up a shop <laughs> at some point in this industry. <laughs> like if you, like you have to pass like a certain exam in order to to own a business in this industry. Lately, I I feel that way. Uh, but you know, yeah, man, I hear that. But you know, uh, again. It, 
it takes people, I, I truly believe it takes people like you in certain areas to start something like powerful like that. It takes, I think, vapors to stand up and say, hey, enough is enough. We, you know, we need to show out there that we're going to support the people that are going to support our right to vape. Because at the end of the day, you do have a stake into it. I don't, I don't think financially that you support a lobbyist. I think that is, the, the, I think that is strictly a vendor fight. I think it's a, it should be a vendor-funded you know, initiative. But as a vapor, if you don't have you know, the shops to go to, it, it, it takes away from your enjoyment of the product because the social aspect of vaping is extremely important to us. We have made friends with people that generally, you know, if it wasn't for vaping, I wouldn't, M wouldn't be my friend. I would never talk to M, right? Or you. I mean, I just met you today. You call, I would have never met you if it wasn't for vaping. So the social aspect to us is extremely important. And it's one of the things that I love the most about vaping. If the shops are not there, that goes away, you know, we're all stuck there inside in, in, in a hidden forum somewhere trying to get nicotine to get our juice. I don't want that. That sucks. You know, it's, it's, I don't yeah, enjoy vaping absolutely, that way. Absolutely. And as long as we're talking about community and, and the strength of vapors, I want to ask where the hell were they? Yeah. How because many vapors I were there? The only consumer there. You're the only consumer I was the there. Only guy there. Yeah, that's not good. Everybody else there was, was representing Zapata or representing a shop. There were no just citizen vapors there. And that. Just chaps my ass. Yeah, that's that that's that's pretty disappointing as well too. I think uh, having vapors uh, show up, they don't have to testify. And I understand, I understand some people are, are are afraid to testify. You don't have to testify. Just show up there with a vaping T-shirt or a sign that says "I vape and I vote" or something. Just just being there is extremely important to these legislators that see that you care. Absolutely, man. Bodies in the room. Sure, sure, absolutely. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's disappointing because there's a lot of vapors. How can we get seven thousand? people at vape blast last weekend and we only get one vapor at the state capitol when they're trying to ban your product i, I mean i don't have any more boob hairs to pull i'm i'm out i'm gonna have to regrow them this is i'm so fucking I'm, I'm so frustrated man you just don't understand it's but same, go ahead em go ahead same thing over here too you can't get vapors to show up for anything over here unless there's free juice and, and competitions to win yeah i think it's it, it, that's it's got to be the same way any, uh, everywhere, you know? And, uh, Demetrius, you say it all the time. Vapors are so bloody lazy, infuriatingly lazy, and they won't get up and fight for what's saving them yeah. and what they enjoy. Yeah. I just don't. I just, I just don't think they, they, they feel that it, that it's critical enough for them. I've, I I I think that they're complacent. That they've got, they've come into a uh, a setting where you know they don't feel. Like vaping is going to go away, they don't feel like their favorite vape shop is going to go out of business, so they don't really care. You know, I mean, you know, they 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 just they, just, they think that this is going to go on the way that it is now. And we know, I know, I can guarantee you, it's not going to go out th- that way. But you know, who listens to me, Jeff? You know, what can I do? All I can do yeah, is just come here every and, week and, and bitch. And by the time they're threatened enough to take action, it, it's going to be too late. It could it, be all Indiana is the perfect example. Indiana is the perfect yeah. example. This is the one state that's going to go down, and then you know you're going to see a trickle effect going across the country. Uh, anything else that you want to add, Jeff? Before I let you go, running out of time. Yeah, yeah, just a, just a quick rundown. It's sure. A little bit, uh, a little bit better here in Texas than it is in Indiana. I don't think we have such a mafia right. presence here. Oh wait, did I say that? Um, we had uh, six House bills, uh, one or two more in the Senate, like I said. For the most part, uh, they were minor bans, restriction sales, uh, uh, restricting sales to minors, which, of course, we're all for. Uh, there were some problems mostly with the language. Uh, there was a, a definition of including nicotine and non-nicotine products, which Spada didn't like. Uh, there was a hold for signature, an ID check for deliveries, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, which are being worked out. But 
Uh, House Bill 646 in particular, which may be the prevailing bill that makes it uh, to the floor out of this committee, they may kind of wrap them all up into this one, mm-hmm. uh, and that is one that we love. It uh, is one that classifies vapor products as its own category instead of lumping it in with tobacco, which, of course, we love. Uh, with any luck, this is the one that uh, that makes it, and all the others are, are either voted out or right. gets rid of uh, some of the crap as it's wrapped into 646. Right. It does still need some work, but it's looking like some pretty good common sense legislation, and hopefully, hopefully, we can get it passed without the horseshit that causes this problem. Right, right, uh, right. But we, we've got to watch that bill for sure to make sure that they don't change for the worst and that they do take action. Uh, we did have a lot of good testimony. Um, the, the board members, uh, the, the health committee members, seemed very receptive and, for the most part, attentive. Um, which which is you know more than I was expecting. They really seem to be listening to what we had to say. That's good. That's good. Um, and uh, and, and engage. But of course, you know these are politicians, right? So who the hell knows? Yeah. But uh, uh, there was a there was a youth group there that was speaking out about it. They were I heard about that. You know, singing Stanton Glance's greatest hits album. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it was. Uh, it's a youth group in the Kyle area. It's, I don't remember what they're called, but it was, you know, high school kids uh, telling stories about their high school friends using this stuff to vape antifreeze and hash oil and descending into a life. That's the American Lung Association, by the way, behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was was actually kind of cool. I'm sorry. That, that's the American Lung Association behind it. That's what happened in New York as well, too, when the hearing happened last year. They brought these kids in, and the American Lung Association was behind it. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very obvious that they were right. all reading from the same script, script basically. Right, right, uh, right. It was really kind of cool to, to see them getting involved in government. I just kind of yeah. wish they weren't using that particular playbook. Uh, but the good thing about all of that is that I think the committee members had heard a lot of the stuff before, and it had already been debunked for them because they were really pretty dismissive of a lot of That's it. Good. So it That's looked good. like they were fairly well-informed. Uh, but but I tell backfired. you what, those kids were a hell of a lot better organized than Vapors were. Yeah. So, uh yeah, I mean, there there better be a shitload of emails and phone calls uh, flying toward this, uh, these committee members from Vapors. And, you know, I want to say that it's not too late to do that. Uh, if you go to the CASA Call to Action page, uh, there's a post. Uh, it's uh, four bills in Texas. That's, yep. You know, follow that. There's contact information there. Texans, please send emails, make phone calls, just do it. Yep, you know, and, and it's so easy. Way, I mean... we want, what we want, you were talking about it earlier, the best way to get what we want is to catch these things in committee. Uh, committee. Right. It's there now, and now is the time to take action. Or, right. you know, forever hold your peace, and you're dead to me. Right. Uh, absolutely. Casa I, 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 has it so easy now set up where you just click a link, it takes you right to the page, you oppose these bills, and you send it down there, and it's done. As a consumer, that should be your number one source. Obviously, as a business, SPADA yeah. is the trade association on a federal level. I'd like to see more and more state organizations pop up, and I'd like to see a one common unity umbrella to bring all – If if we're fragmented, even as an association, if you have four different associations in a state, um, you know, ultimately we might win, but it still fragments the industry as well, too. Like this little, you know, click of vendors started this association. This association at one bill might not agree with the other association that's there for a minor thing. Oh, because they sell this juice and this will be affected. We sell this juice and this won't be affected. So it creates a fragmentation within the industry, which I don't like to see, unfortunately. But it's happening right now in Texas. I commend everybody that took the time that went down there. The Sfada chapters, I know Frank's done a great job down there. I commend everybody that showed up. At the end of the day, though, even past it, even if we win this, it's not going to go away. 
It's going to come back next year, right? So yeah. what are you going to take? What are you going to put in place Absolutely. right now? What are you going to put? How are you going to lay your groundwork right now to combat it next year? Bring all the vendors into common place. Take the tags away. Take away your egos away. And say, how? What can we do to better this industry? What can we do to survive and sustain? And I think that should be the ultimate goal, not only in Texas, but every state in this country or in, in every country in this planet, actually, right now. Amen, brother. You're singing the song, man. Man, I certainly appreciate it. You're very, very well spoken. If you were the only person there that testified, I'm glad it was you and nobody else. That's all i got to say, Jeff. Thanks for calling in Smoke Free Radio, buddy. I appreciate that. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Hey, real quick, uh, while I've got an open mic, I want to say real, real quick, uh, Stefan Dydek, you are on my hero list. Nice. Uh, My former director from my former workplace, he's retired. He's about 70 years old, smoked since he was like eight wrote this on my Facebook share of notblowingsmoke.org. 60 seconds. Uh I was vaping until I heard the report which stated that you received seven times more formaldehyde vaping over six. Mm -hmm. After this, I'm heading back to vaping. Uh, Stefan, I fully believe that you directly helped to extend that man's life, and for that, I thank you. You are firmly on my hero list. Fantastic. Thank you so much for saying that. All these people work for free, and hearing stuff like that is what keeps them going. Trust me, I know. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Demetrius. Thanks, buddy. Have uh, a great night. You too, man. You're always on my hero list. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, there he goes, everybody. All Jeff right, guys, uh, from Texas. Great job showing over there. That's, uh, it's, it, was, it was nice to end in a good note there. Um, what do you think? I mean, it was uh, it was it was refreshing, kind of to, you know, get some good positive. I love when vapors are so well spoken and so educated and they're passionate about it. And they, it, and it's one thing, you know, when you talk, it's it's how you come across as well, too, right? I mean, it's it made me feel good. I don't know. I feel good now. You should. My blood pressure came down. By the way, I just want to touch this really quick with you. I want to get your your idea on this because he mentioned the kids that showed up there. In in, in New York City last year, I'm sure you remember, they brought these kids in to the hearing, which, you know, to me it's just exploitation of minors, whatever. Somebody suggested, what if we take kids, you know, from the vaping I want to get I want to get your thoughts before I tell you my thoughts, right? I don't want to skew your opinion. If okay. we took kids, like, you know, your son or whatever, or my daughter, and bring him in into the setting and say, you know, to support vaping, oh, my parents, you know, feel better, or do you think that would hurt us, or do you think it would benefit us? Obviously, the people that are against it are going to, you know, against e-cigs are going to say, you know, you're going to have the stand glances that are going to say, oh, look, you know, they're they're trying to entice their children into vaping and this and that. But from a standpoint, as a mother with two 14-year-old boys that remember me as a smoker and know me as a vapor, I think it would be beneficial. I have a feeling that it would be detrimental. I think they're going to spin it. You know, I I think they're going to spin. I think they're going to take it that we're using the kids. And, you know, um, a couple of years ago in a group somewhere, somebody posted that because I I posted that I vape in the house and said, you're subjecting your kids to that nicotine laced spray that's coming out of your mouth. You know, I'm afraid that they're going to take that route of having your kids. What do you know? Are you vaping on your kids? And how do your kids know? How do they know about flavors? Have you let them try it? I'm I'm afraid it's going to take that negative spin no matter what we do. You know, even though they do it, you know, they use those tactics. If we used it, it might come back and bite us in the ass. There's going to be some of it. Yeah. Um, But... um, there's been other movements in the past where things that, you know, people have said, oh, because you're 
you know, such a, you're, you live such a life and you're going to raise your children and they're going to be, end up just being just like you. Yeah. And I, in my opinion, because my, both my boys know quite a bit about vaping and even my youngest and he's six, he knows the difference between smoking and vaping. And if I could get all three of my kids in front of like an MP or a congressman or a legislator and let them speak for themselves. Right. Now any, any guidance or any, you know, coaching, I think it would be a good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to have to explore that. Maybe I, I was thinking about Maria, but Maria would probably start talking about Instagram and shit like that. She'll be, she'll be all over the place. I'd be like, Maria, bring it together. Come back. Come back. Anyway, uh, listen, uh, to me today, I think I learned something. Yeah. I got I pissed off. What? My blood pressure raised and my blood pressure is back down again. But I think overall, to me, if I... Do any of this smoke-free radio with you every weekend, and I learn something. To me, that's a huge win, and I hope everybody that's listening has learned something today, and that's extremely important to me as far as putting content out there that involves the vaping community. Um, So, M, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad you're happy with your sub tank, Uh, and uh, I'm going to see you soon as well, too. Vape Jam UK is creeping up on us about a month, month and a half away at uh, in London. Right? You, know, you have any idea how excited I am? That's pretty. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun for me. I mean, I've never been to London in a vape type setting and meet all these guys like you know Dorn and all these guys from Vapor Tales TV and the reviewers there and all that. I think it's a. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm extremely excited. Plus, we get to post selfies on Instagram together. I think it's pretty pretty, pretty cool. And you know, <laughs> the only thing I'm worried about is getting drunk and start crying while Phil's talking because <laughs> I get. So you get emotional when you drink. <laughs> do, you, do you really get emotional? Because Phil gets completely silly when he drinks. So it's going to be really funny seeing him laugh and you cry at the same time when you're both drunk. Uh, my job at Meats is to control Phil after he drinks. That's my job. That's what I've been hired to do. Let's <laughs> keep Phil under control. Uh, but anyway, it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Em. Have a wonderful morning now there in the UK. And as always, thank you for being uh, part of Smoke Free Radio. All See you next week. There she goes, everybody. Our resident bitch, Mrs. M. Vape Me Stupid, of course, is her blog.co.uk. Uh, she posts some really good, interesting articles on there. A huge advocate for this product, and I'm proud to call her a co-host here on the show. Uh, lastly, what I want to put out there for my closing statement is, you know, I, I, I want to give a shout-out to JT, Jonathan Thomas from Vape Stars. Uh, here's a guy that you know started doing reviews, got into the public eye. You want to call him vape celebrity, whatever. You know, I mean, th- th- those terms are you know, you can take them for what they're worth. If somebody's recognized in the community, it doesn't mean that they're celebrity, but it's good that they're being recognized. People look up to them, and, and I have to commend him because I have seen the shift in his demeanor and and what he's putting out there to the public, especially people that follow. Everybody has a following, right? We have a lot of people in the community that are recognized that have a following. Um, but he's doing something with his following. He's trying to put out the advocacy word, uh, you know, to his to, to to his vapors and to the shops that he visits. You know, he's he works for Enjoy, but he gets to see a lot of shops and a lot of um, businesses on his travels. And to me, I have to commend him for doing that. I wish, I wish more people that are in the public eye. If you want to call them vape celebrities, vape famous, call them whatever you want. Some of the silly terms that are being out there. Um, I'd love to see them step up a little bit more and just try to educate your following on the struggles this industry faces 
Uh, I'm not saying that you have to go full-blown advocacy like I am. It's consuming a lot, a lot, a lot of my life and my, and my time right now. But at least use your power, use your following to get across a point, especially on a local level in your state and to your followers that, hey, listen, we're under attack. And by golly, I guarantee you, I don't know about the rest of them, but I'm going down swinging. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Smoke Crew Radio. I'll be back next week, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on the VP Live Network. Have a wonderful evening, everybody.